This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to this podcast, season four, episode thirty-five. My name is Timmy and I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Jonathan Gulline over there in Mississauga. Greeting there, trekkers. And in charge of shenanigans over in Seattle, Washington, is Jaime Lopez Jr. How's it going? From the Irish Lopez clan. Jaime O. Lopez? Yeah, and so Jonathan wants me to say, on this episode, (laughs) we're going to discuss season four finale of Star Trek Discovery and episode three season of season two of there's too many ofs in there. <laughs> season episode three, season two of Star Trek Picard. But first, dot 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 <laughs> I guess we're gonna do some fact checks. There's no there's no like, you know, hey, how's it going? How's it how's it doing? Well no we had the how's it going already. Well, um, you know, we 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 could banter. I didn't write right in banter. Well yeah, that's what I mean. You you get this sort of formal thing, but you know, whatever. Okay. Anywho, um, yeah, so let's jump into the fact check. I think, uh, oh, this is me. Um, yeah, so I, I remember last week I was, I get confused because all these Star Trek things for the last millennia has been filmed in Toronto that I kept looking at the the theater that they were in for that scene with the, you know, where they had the, the Academy and then they had the, the scene with the uh, Picard supposedly offing the, um, the Generalissimo offing the, uh, the Borg Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, I looked at that theater and I thought that looks awfully familiar. And I, th- I actually, as you may or may not remember from last week, I watched that scene scene a couple of times. Anyway, turns out that is in fact the Walt Disney Concert Hall by the none other, none other than Frank Geary, of, uh, which stands for the exterior of Starfleet Academy with the Kirby walls and stuff like that. And uh, it's in Ingl- Inglewood, California, or Inglewood, which is basically Los Angeles. Um, yeah, and for the bright part, they used they used uh, you know for the academy it was all bright and light colors, and then for the dark with the black and red, as Jaime mentioned, uh, for episode two they used the same space for the, uh, the scene where the Generalissimo is going to off the uh, the uh, Borg Queen, and they had like you know I think they had CGI'd some people in there to make it look like it was quite full, but you know not really that big. It's sort of a massy hall kind of place, I guess, right? Yeah, I still and, think it looked a little Spartan. Yeah, well, I mean, like, even, especially when they were doing, like, the, you were in the crowd scene, and there's, like, five guys with their arms held up. <laughs> yeah, um, get that head, woo! Yeah, boo him, yeah, blood, 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 yeah. Um, I thought they were yelling, Picard, Picard, Picard. No, blood, blood, blood. Really? Okay, I didn't, well, I don't know. And then I also talked last week about the Voyager space probes, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, both had a, it's called the Voyager Golden Record, I've got a link here in the show notes to all the sort of things that are... That are there, and um, as well, the actual line from the from the show, uh, which they repeated again today, was that we were trying to remember was um, a safe galaxy is a human galaxy was what the the slogan was that they kept repeating. Um, but uh, I was saying the only dead human or the only good human is a dead human. That is actually a line said by Gre- James Gregory, who played General Ursus in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which is the second movie. Of the Planet of the Apes, there. I always thought that was a trucker dude, a guy from a trucker show, but I, I, I looked it up and I didn't. James Gregory, you, you probably know him from other things, but not as a sort of gangster or a cop or that kind of stuff. You'll have to look him up on IMDb if you're if you're familiar with him at all. Anyway, 
And the throwing stars that somebody mentioned last week were actually the comb badges, which have blades on them. I think I found that out on the, uh, mm. on, um, what's it called thing? The Ready Room? That the mm. show with Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton? Will Wheaton. And we were kind of wondering why Alice Krieg isn't quite rep- reprising her role as the Borg Queen. We found out a little bit more today that when we got to see the Borg Queen in action... But Alex Krieg is 67 years old, and that may, in fact, be why she didn't want to do the sort of, or she couldn't do or, or doesn't want to do the role anymore. But she did, um, she did play the voice of the Borg Queen on the Lower Decks episode that I thought was the um, Annie Wershing, but it was, in fact, Alex Krieg. She had a very distinctive voice, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, given the age that you mentioned, maybe she didn't want to get into makeup for hours and hours, whereas... For voice acting, unless they're really sticklers for method acting in some way, because they probably don't make you dress up for that. Well, I gotta say, the the makeup on Patrick Patrick Stewart look makes him really look like an eighty year old. I'm really buying that, you know. <laughs> and the acting has got that act. I thought, you know, so it would have been, been funny if if uh, I was thinking today, like like uh, you know, he's acting really old. I mentioned he acting really old in the in the first two episodes, and if he had gone back in time and somehow. Was well, a younger version of himself. That might have been kind of a fun twist and pulled the wool over all of our eyes. But in fact, he remained an eighty-year-old. Unfortunately for me, all right. Hey, they could have recast him with Tom Hardy. He was just waiting right there. They could have. They could have. They could have. Yes. Well, there is a timey wimey twist that I don't know if I'm going to talk about it when I when I cover the show. But anyway, so we'll move on to the headlines now, and we'll throw it over to Jaime Lopez Jr. You know, if people were wondering, are they going to show Kirk? in the new uh, Strange New World Star Trek series, you know, because it's, it's pre-Kirk, but like, oh, maybe, you know, like third, fourth, maybe they'll do fifth or sixth season. Nope. Second season. There you go. Paul Wesley wow. has been cast as a young uh, James T. Kirk for season two of Star Trek Strange New World. Oh, no, for season one. Oh. No, I yeah, guess I think I... they've already done season <laughs> one. Oh, I, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess I had vaguely forgotten that they signed up for two seasons of this. I, I knew they did that with lower decks and we talked about the the animation piece but it escaped my memory that stranger worlds was premiering with two seasons uh right out the gate they didn't want to do like william shatner with cgi and make that work just a, a luke skywalker deep fake yeah yeah exactly well it's funny because there was a picture actually posted i think i saw it on twitter or something like that of uh of a gentleman looking very much like this person here and uh somebody else in sort of a red shirt um and it was the caption was, you know, look, they're filming Star Trek in Toronto. And it was clearly this this actor in the yellow, you know, yellow tunic there. Representing, yeah, representing. It, it's funny when uh, I saw that same picture, Tim, I saw it on social media and they said, oh, you know, scene, they're filming outdoors. They're filming scenes from Strange New Worlds. And I was like, oh, interesting. I don't recognize either of those actors. And then I saw Jaime put into our show notes, they've cast a new guy. And it's this guy. I was like, oh, I saw that picture earlier. I didn't put two and two together that that was some dude playing, uh, playing Kirk. But then. Uh, I don't watch, so apparently this guy's name is Paul Wesley, and he's, he's on Vampire Diaries? I've never seen Vampire Diaries, but I guess if you were a fan of that, you would you would recognize him as somebody who was on television? I, I did not. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose. Um, so, oh, you moved this one up, I guess, the Borg Queen thing? Yeah, I did. Actually, I, I wanted to just sort of... Uh, did we talk about a, that last... Is this the same? I just noticed I, that this was the last the same week. We, we talked about this last week, but then there's more to this one than... Uh, than the one that was last week. 
Okay, what we're talking about here, folks, for those of you driving home or transporting at home, is that I put a link here saying the Picard Borg Queen actress weighs in on the debated Star Trek character question, which we, we, we talked about last week. Um, basically, we were trying to, trying to decide whether it was the same um, Borg Queen or a different Borg Queen or whatever. So, you want to throw in your opinion there, John? Or- I mean, we covered it a little bit last week, but she seems to think that, you know, these are sort of, you know, echoes of the same character, right? She seems to think that they are uh, sort of different, you know, there there must always be a queen, you know, there's always a, yeah, there's always yeah. a queen. So if one queen falls, the next queen is just sort of, they just point across the room and go, you, you're the queen now. Yeah. And, and, and that, but that queen has all the memories of the previous queen. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we got a little bit more of uh, Annie Wershing as the queen in this week's Picard episode. And it is definitely a different type of performance. It feels alike, but unalike. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know, but the, the, the queen in, in the Voyager series, she seemed to be not as threatening as, as um, Alice Krieg's performance, but she did seem, but she she felt odd. She felt like the same queen, though, right? Even though it did feel a bit odd, right? And Annie Washington did say for this particular role, she did check out, she did, she watched the other two actors' uh, portrayals, but then she went and um, watched all the episodes with the Borg and it, to get a sense of what the Borg is and, and that kind of stuff. But she wasn't attempting, as she says, to try and represent, she wasn't trying to mimic Alex Krieg or the other lady. I in, uh, can say having watched episode three of Picard, that is true. Yes, definitely, definitely. This is her own. And we have a new trailer, which I think I saw. Yeah, we got the first look at Disney Plus's Ms. Marvel series this week, and it looks good. I think, uh, you know, right off the hop, they definitely did us right by casting a young woman from uh, nearby Markham, Ontario to be the star. Her name is Iman Vellani, and she's going to be playing uh, Kamala Khan, and... Yeah, it, it's a it's a sort of a fun young. It's got sort of a Spider-Man high school kind of vibe to it. Pretty different from what we've seen. Uh, obviously, they're promoting right now. They're promoting Moon Knight, which is starting in a few weeks, and they're promoting already the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which looks pretty heavy. This looks like it'll be a nice palate cleanse. It seems a lot lighter than those. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was some. Minor kerfuffling this week in the uh, comic book community. I will uh, I will report that uh, some people are uh, not impressed with the fact that they've they've changed her origin already. You can see in the trailer that they've gone some different directions and they've uh, changed some of her powers. And so some some comic fans are sort of saying, "Well, great great start. You've already changed the character. You know, fundamentally, I am taking much more of a wait and see approach." I. People get really hung up on origin stories, but, you know, even for something that was only created, you know, within the last decade, like like Kamala Khan, like it just doesn't always translate from paper to screen. Like you have to give them a little latitude. It's not critical that every little detail line up and that every nuance of her power is the same. And also don't forget that this is essentially a prequel. This is a prequel series to the Marvels, the new Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel slash uh, Monica Rambeau series that's coming later in the year. So there's always time for her to get more powers or change things around. And so calm down, 
fan fan people, but <laughs> but uh, but from what yeah, I saw in this trailer, you, Sheldon. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, again, I get it. There's purists out there. There's always going to be purists out there, but it does seem to me to capture a lot of what I like about the book, which is she's an interesting character. She definitely uh, ticks a very important box as far as representation, um, and you know, again, it just looks light and fun and energetic, and in more more ways than one. Obviously, she's got uh, what look to be like uh, negabands, uh, which are, are a Marvel uh, MacGuffin that you know grants people powers. It's a so pretty much imagine something similar to Green Lantern's ring. You think about it, it does it kind of concept. It's a little bit different from the, her powers in, in the comic books, but you know it definitely allows her to pull off a lot of the same things, and it also is a little more in line with the original Ms. Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers character from the comic books. So. Uh, what uh, what do you guys think? What do you guys think of the trailer? Is it uh, did it grab you right away? No, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I only saw a bit of it, and and uh, I got the general impression that she's sort of this, you know, um, if I'm not mistaken, sort of kid in high school who discovers she has these powers, and you know, kind of that sort of happy accident sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really didn't get much. I didn't really see the costume until I just flipped through the the link you have here now mm-hmm. um but yeah i did get the impression she's got those sort of co- the contacts that make her eyes kind of glow i think that's the same trailer right yeah and if you'll if you notice it's actually the same kind of effect that we saw when monica rambeau got her powers and it also sort of uh is similar to what we see in uh ms marvel so, or captain marvel so there seems to be some sort of connection there so obviously that ties into the movie mythology that we're driving towards um as for her costume it's not just strictly speaking a costume it's actually uh it's a sawar kameez it's a um it's a traditional muslim uh uh outfit and it's definitely it it fits with her being a young woman and not necessarily like you know uh to show you know she's not wearing the scarlett johansson skin tight leather which is appropriate because she's a child so yeah, no, I was talking about the sort of the headgear that she's got on. Which oh, yeah, well, and they, they also show her, you know, participating in in uh, in prayer and, and inside of a yeah. mosque. And, you know, yeah, again, they yeah, definitely yeah. hit you with the fact that she is Muslim um, and that she lives in New Jersey because they see her sort of standing on the Jersey Shore looking out at Manhattan. And, you know, she's she's the girl from the other side of the tracks. And uh, But is, and, the, is the character in the comic books um, Muslim? Or? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and I think that was, you know, an important step for for Marvel to have a prominent, you know, main title character uh, that that has that background. You know, it was something that was, you know, a bit of a... Uh, there, there are, of course, Muslim characters, but, like, it's not right on Front Street like this. And certainly not young and cool and, you know, the things that you want to check those boxes as well, so... Right, cool, right. And then they'll go all the way to Markham to get her. Uh, I thought the trailer was pretty interesting, if if only because um, I'm a fan of the Mitchells versus the Machines, the animated film on Netflix, and it has at least the trailer has that sort of uh, I'm going to call it like a, a Gen Z, but it might be post Z. I don't I don't know where the generations fall kind of vibe to it. This is what the the kiddos are into, and she's the like woman version of Spider Man, right? Young teenager, yeah. random crazy powers. Jersey, so very close to New York City, right? So it kind of kind of makes sense to me. Um, I'm also apologizing in advance for the politicians on this side of uh, the northern border um, because you have a Muslim character 
whose name is Kamala or Kamala. So I, I just know there will be nasty tweets and other stuff <laughs> said about that awokeness about this character who's apparently been around for a long time. So, well, and it's funny because in the in the trailer they make somebody somebody gets her name pronounces it wrong and says Kamala. She's like, no, it's Kamala. Interesting. Hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's uh, it's a nice it's again, it's a nice bit of representation moving forward and a nice addition to the to the MCU. And as I say, I think after what looks to be a pretty sort of deep psychological pond to go into on Moon Knight and what looks to be kind of a bummer in, in Obi-Wan, I'm sure Obi-Wan's going to be great, but I also think it's going to be like grim. I mm. think this will be a lovely palate cleanser as we as we head towards summertime and uh, and actually get to get to see this. So it, I think it, I think we'll all be in need of that by, by the time it comes around. All right. And uh, for, so for the record, it's it's coming. Uh, what did they say? It's Ju- uh, June, June eighth. I thought it was. Yeah, June eighth. I... Yeah, that's right. Got a little bit of a wait, but you know it's okay. It's people time to catch up on their reading. Mm-hmm. Next. Well, next, unfortunately, we have some sad news. So speaking of the MCU, we we lost a member of the MCU this week. Uh, William Hurt, the Oscar award winning actor uh, who played General Thunderbolt Ross in the uh, in the Marvel movies, uh, premiering, obviously, way back in the uh, in the Hulk movies and uh, and carrying forward from there as sort of this uh, by the books, gruff general. Uh, he unfortunately he died this week. He died at the age of 71. And, uh, mm. you know, it's funny because, you know, obviously for our our community, you know, that's that's, you know, his sort of claim to fame inside the, the MCU. But this was, you know, by all accounts, the actor's actor, you know, he was in a lot of, you know, very uh, famous roles. And he was sort of one of those faces that in the 80s and 90s was just, you know, if you, you knew if you you knew if you saw William Hurt in a movie that it was probably going to have some some uh, gravitas and, and, you yeah. know, some legs. Um, I loved I loved him in broadcast news. Broadcast news is one of my all time favorite uh, movies. And he plays, of course, one of the the two love interests along with Albert Brooks. And, and he is He's supposed to be playing this sort of dumb blonde broadcast journalist, but he brings just this bit more to it that makes the character so much more interesting. And I just, I really, really love that performance by him. Uh, famously, of course, he won the Oscar for Kiss of the Spider Woman um, way back in the 80s. But um, yeah, sad, sad, sad news this week uh, to, to lose an actor of his, uh, of his ca- caliber. It's, uh, it's, it's a disappointing thing. Yeah, I think he was the father in uh, uh, the AI movie that Spielberg did way back then, when too. Oh yeah, you're right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So this is almost follow up in in a sense. So uh, sometimes folks have asked me like, why subscribe to YouTube TV's service? It's essentially like cable. Like I'm pretty one, sort of pretty much the person who asks you this all the time. It's it's so live sports is by far like the biggest reason, right? So all sorts of calculations that was it lopez calculus you guys called it before um that changes if and when live sports uh, the, the full set that i would need moves off to some other sort of thing right but live sports is your biggest reason to keep cable television if you have or as i prefer to tell people like you should go with youtube tv it's like cable but better because of you know you're going to get unlimited dvr you're going to have a lot of stuff's integrated and uh as I wrote here in the notes, uh, remember, you have to sacrifice a beloved pet to cancel cable TV. So if you don't feel like doing that, 
Um, YouTube TV is pretty good. The problem is it costs um, 65 bucks a month and it's, you know, it started out at like 30, 35 when I started a couple years ago. So it's been going up as they've added content from other networks like Viacom, CBS, and et cetera, et cetera. People have asked, oh, well, what about Hulu with live TV? And I looked at Hulu and I said, yeah, it is a little bit cheaper. Mm, unfortunately, the fact that it has limited DVR and I then therefore I have to really think about, mm, should I record this or not? It's just too much of a, like a hassle in a, you know, first world problem sort of way. So, um, you know, with YouTube TV, I literally don't have to think about it. Like, oh, that looks vaguely interesting. Hit the record button. And if I don't like it, whatever, remove it. Uh, this article today is that uh, the upgrades that are coming for Hulu with live TV is that it is adding unlimited DVR as part of its basic price, which is $5 more than um, YouTube TV. So 70 bucks, but, but pretty comparable, I'd say. Um, 80 channels instead of the 100. I don't think I would get anywhere close to watching all 100 on YouTube TV. Like you're, you're probably going to have the channels that you want, you know, your ESPNs, your Fox. Fox Sports and all that other stuff, um, CBS, ABC, NBC, and etc. So, um, I for one am, am keen on the idea of there being more parity in this kind of market. Well, then hopefully the prices will go somewhere but up. Yeah, I don't have any illusions that they'll go down, but I hope that this will keep them from skyrocketing up because you won't have a single actor who's able to to just do it willy nilly because they've got the best product, right? If you have comparable products i would hope that they would be, have a harder time raising prices yeah yeah well unfortunately that does not impact us greatly up here as hulu still is uh is still not north of the border and basically i i, I now i'm starting to resign myself to the fact that it never will be obviously with star being integrated into disney plus i mean it's good because obviously it lowers the cost of not having to carry the two services but then i think we're getting a fairly truncated uh, Hulu and I, and I know we're clearly getting it delayed. So, yep. So speaking of streaming services, the HBO Max is going to be merged with Discovery Plus in uh, a great relief to the uh, our beloved co-host Jaime, who don't has one less streaming service to connect. <laughs> Uh, apparently, yeah, they, they talked about it and they, they decided that, uh, it just made much more sense to, to combine these services instead of offering them separately since they're both owned by Warner and, uh, yeah, so they're going to take these two things and glue them together. So congratulations. If you have one, now you have others, wait for the price to increase. Well, in our poll last, last, uh, Spockies, I think we had one person who subscribes to Disney or to Discovery Plus. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think for that particular niche of, of science fiction, it sort of crosses more into the science than the fiction. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Discovery yeah, can have good good stuff on there. Um, yeah, they probably can't support to have it. Like, I, and my guess is they it probably didn't make sense to support it on its own sort of thing. Yeah, roll roll it into one. Yeah, these these streaming services that they've sort of created is this whole. And I always mess this up. I think it's a Cambrian explosion is, is what I'm looking for of like all this diversity coming out. Every little weirdo niche is suddenly available to, to fill. And those services start out and I think they, you know, obviously hit the fans. They definitely are fans of Discovery Plus. But how broad of an adoption can you get? And it's expensive to run an independent service. So it kind of feels like 
the sort of gravity starts causing some of these to to merge back into and consolidate again, right? Where yeah, we probably will have the the mega cable TV streaming service equivalent, and they say, "Man, this sucks. I would rather just pay for live sports. I'd rather just pay for you know Discovery Plus kind of content." And then we'll go through this same cycle again over the coming decades. I would guess of bundling, yeah. unbundling, and bundling, unbundling. Yeah, I definitely think of it in the same context as magazines, right? There was there was a time when, you know, we we went from a few number of magazines to a huge number of magazines because everybody was like, great, we'll just split off all these little diverse interest groups. Well, now all those magazines have been subsumed by the internet, and so now magazines they're they're down to a very small number, you know. And now you get this like massive number of things that people can go online for. I wonder if we'll, uh, yeah, we'll start to see more of these logical contractions. I got to be honest. I mean, we just talked about Hulu. You know, does it make sense in the long run to have Hulu as a separate service from from Disney Plus when you can amalgamate it and then fix the price and then offer more value to your users? Who knows? You know, I don't think Disney's hurting for money. I don't think they need to do that. But, you know, it depends what the market does, right? Yeah. 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 And speaking of services, we also got news this week that Netflix is going to pilot a little project. They're going to be uh, prompting their subscribers to uh, to have their outside users from uh, sorry the users from outside their households to start paying separate fees for their uh, use of the service. Obviously, this has been going on since uh, Netflix went to the uh, streaming service that we now know today. Uh, a lot of people share their passwords with family members, whether those family members they are, do? are under the same roof as them or whether they take them with them when they go. I'm sure there are uh, some people who spread them far and wide. Some people keep it to a very small circle. Uh, but... Apparently, starting with a pilot project in Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru, Netflix is going to let members who share their accounts with people outside their household uh, pay just a, quote, a little bit more. Uh, so they're going to basically uh, rack it up by looks like about three bucks US to mm -hmm. add an extra member outside your home to your account. And that way they can sort of see what the uptake is this, pilot in these three markets, which are relatively smaller, and then see what the the breakdown of that is, is and then decide whether or not it's worth proceeding to larger markets. Um, I, you know, obviously, the U.S. would be the last place that they would want to do that right off the hop because, obviously, the, the disruption. But Canada's not that big, so uh, I wonder if we might see that down the road up here as well. Mm, you don't know anybody who does this, do you guys? No, no. But I mean, you know what? Like, it's almost like, like you, you kind of wonder from the honesty factor, like if it's only three bucks, somebody might pay that, right? You know? I mean, I guess it depends on how, you know, if they send you a note basically saying like, we know this isn't you, pay the three bucks or, you know, whatever. The thing is, it doesn't sound like there's an implied threat. I think they're going on, on the sort of, you know, the honor system for the short term to sort of see if people feel the need to come clean. And I suppose this is a logical way of doing it. And instead of saying, hey, we know you guys are piggybacking this, you should be paying the full freight. What they're saying is, we understand that you may be a college student. We understand you may be a grandparent or, you know, I mean, that's, the, I suppose, their best case scenario. And they're going to be 
somewhat lenient in charging them a small extra fee as opposed to a full freight, especially now that, you know, I mean, we talked about it, it's it's up over $20 per month for the, the top tier package in Canada. Well, so, mm-hmm. you know, I guess... It's it's a it's a step towards where they want to be is making everybody who uses the service pay for the service. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this how this actually plays out. Yeah, well, I mean, technically, from a from a technical point of view, like every computer household has an IP address, and uh, but the thing is, with most of us, where we don't have dedicated addresses, right? So um, depending on how often you reboot your router. Um, and how you have it saying whether it persists that address to your house or not. I mean, you know, over time, you really can't pinpoint. I mean, of course, the RCMP and all those kind of people, if they ever wanted to, or the police in this case, if they ever wanted to figure something out, they could. But, you know, they could dig through logs and stuff like that. But it's hard to sort of pinpoint whether somebody's connecting from one house or another, really, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, like, like I think, well, Netflix kind of does a thing where they, they count the number of. Uh, concurrent connections right like isn't it like two or three or whatever at a time or something like that depends on the tier yeah that's the thing i think with the the highest tier i think you get like three or four simultaneous connections so the odds of having all those people in your home or outside your home simultaneously using it in an an era where you can also do uh apple tv plus and you can do disney disney plus and you can do paramount plus and you can do hbo max and 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 like yeah but coming back to that to the point about the ip addresses i mean like if you're watching netflix at home and then you go to work and you take the same laptop that you watch Netflix at home or your iPad or whatever, and you start watching it at work, you're technically in. So is it restricted to your household, like physical property, or is it connected to you? I mean, like, like for instance, if you wanted to watch something on Netflix in the afternoon on a lunch break or whatever, you know, they can't really prove that's not you looking at it, right? Well, and that's it. I mean, what's the difference between my sharing my account with someone versus logging in while I'm here in my home and then logging in at my lunch hours at my office. Right, exactly. It's a, it's or, two or, separate on, or on the streetcar when you're on the way home. Or well, whatever, that's yeah. it, right? I mean, really, I don't know. I, to me, it seems like they'd have a really tough time pushing that fact. I mean, you guys are obviously way more tech-savvy than, than I am. Do you think there's any way they could actually enforce people using their account and sharing their accounts they, they could be dicks about it but i'm sure they'd get more complaints than, than not i mean like like for instance in my in in the in example if they if they tried to block um access because they suspect that you're coming from the wrong place you know like i said i could be sitting on a, on a, a bus on my way home watching my my account using my account from an ip address that my phone is bouncing from cell tower to cell tower so i may not in fact, have and I, I see people watching movies all the time on their phones on the streetcar and mm-hmm. on the buses and stuff, right? So you know, it's not always that they've like if they've got if they could got the cellular data and they want to use it to watch you know the show. What's to stop them, right? So other than you know uh, Netflix saying, well, you're I don't think you're physically at your home. They could they could do things like they could have like a, a if they wanted to be. I think back in their direct TV days, they used to have a card that you used to, have to put into your decoder. Mm-hmm. Right, so you couldn't use it unless you had the decoder, right? So, but now that we're on this sort of internet, and you know, you can watch it from anywhere, kind of thing. I mean, that's the, is that not the the selling point? You can watch this anytime you want, anywhere you want, sort of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, like even with Bell Crave, I can. I mean, I have my my Crave account is connected to my internet account, or actually to my yeah, my internet account, and um, uh, 
but I can watch it wherever I am as long as I can log into my account, right? So yeah, I think same, same if they were going to roll this out in a you know lightly shaming people, but in a way that's not super obvious, I would probably have a you know an email of like, hey, did you know this feature exists? That you know, there's people outside your household. You can add them for three dollars. Yeah, I mean that's what I mean. The honor system, right? They 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 might get some sales, right? Yeah, so you start with that, and then if you want to start tightening up the reins, you do the same thing, and then later down in the the you know the newsletter that they kind of send out is the hey, you should double check your security settings. You have <laughs> yeah, these locations, yeah. and they show the map of like Toronto, Ontario, and Vancouver, British Columbia <laughs> as common <laughs> locations. Is this correct? You know, double check your two of a, and and then above that again is the you know pay the extra stuff for extra family member to sort of like lightly shame you without explicitly saying hey man we know what's going on yeah it's a very good it's a good analogy because i mean like i remember once this is going back many many years ago i got a call from my credit card company and says somebody just filled up gas in san francisco are you in san francisco and i went no i'm not i was in mississauga at the time and they that's how they knew that my card had been compromised right because all of a sudden mm-hmm. i logged in or logged in doing air quotes from somewhere else right so no I'd like to see a, uh, I started thinking about why particularly these three markets in, in uh, Peru, Costa Rica, and Chile. And I was thinking, I wonder why they chose them. And I was like, I wonder if there's like a high percentage of like Catholic guilt or something. Are they going after like a specific group that might be more prone to be like, ah, I can't, can't. Goggle. It could be, you know what? It's, it's like, like, okay, well, uh, you've, what is it? The Nigerian prince scam? You oh, know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so. As I understand, and don't, and I don't yell at me and don't send nasty letters to me. Send them to Jaime if you want, but don't send them to me. Um, I I had heard once that in Nigeria, if you leave money on the table, it's within their right to take it. Right, hmm. That's kind of sort of how they feel about it. So the whole idea of the Nigerian print scam started because if they feel you're stupid enough to send them money, it's their right to have it, right? Hmm. Was it actually started by Nigerians, or was it started by like you know Russian hackers? No, I think it was it was originally like that's the whole the idea behind the, why it was always seemed to be coming from Nigerian. Maybe it could be they could have just been building on that lore. But I mean, the I suspect it's these the I mean it's these economies probably because or these particular localities because of the probably pervasive um, what do they call it freeloading? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, is, is it called freeloading, or you put the name in there? <laughs> uh, free, freeloading, I think, is what they said at the, in the article. So okay, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I suspect that there's probably a high percentage of that, and and I don't know if Catholic guilt would really work, and because I mean, like in some, like okay, well, I mean, I don't know if I, I may mention this on the show before, but I had heard, and this may be an unsubstantiated rumor, but at one point Microsoft added. Um, a feature in Microsoft Windows where you had to validate that you are in fact the person who hold the license, right? So in the middle of like, you'd boot up your PC and it would say, hey, prove that you really are who you say you are, enter this key now or enter your key and then we'll we'll let you continue to use the operating system on your computer, right? And apparently they got a call from the Chinese government because it was about to shut the Chinese government down. <laughs> yeah. You know? Turn that off, <laughs> because you know. But you know, as it implies, in case you didn't catch on what I was saying there, it implied that the Chinese government was running off bootleg copies of Windows. 
But but wait a minute, that's impossible because uh, they are very respectful of copyrights over there. So I don't understand are how they? that could happen. Oh, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> same same with same with India and Russia and you know all those <laughs> yeah. and Nigeria, of course. Well, I saw that was one of the, actually I, I didn't put it in here, but I saw that was one of the threats that came out during the uh, the current embargoes and uh, and conflict in in Ukraine was that. Russia was saying that if it's uh, being basically ostracized, that it might start negating uh, copyrights and things like that. Because, you know, if they're not participating in the global marketplace, why do they have to observe all those kinds of things? I was like, whoa, that could right. get interesting fast. Hmm. Yeah, well, I don't know. You see, we could say we could have a whole podcast on what's happening over there. Let's not do it. All right. Um, All right. So let's move on to Paramount Plus, speaking of uh, streamers. So I was wondering to myself, as I saw the trailer we spoke about last week, I mentioned the uh, the Halo TV series trailer, and I was thinking, I wonder if this is going to be on a different service here in, in Canada, given that it is Paramount Plus uh, is, is where it's appearing in the United States. And I was thinking, well, I wonder if this is going to get onto uh, CTP Sci-Fi or one of our other subsidized uh, Sci-Fi sci uh, systems here, as Jaime likes to poke. Um, but I was disappointed to find out that apparently it is premiering in Canada exclusively on Paramount Plus on March 24th. So it is coming same day and same date as it's coming to the United States, which I, is, as anyone who's listened to more than one of these podcasts knows, is one of my big pet peeves when they delay it. So con congratulations on getting on the same day. Unfortunately, and, uh, and Tim, you and I talked about this uh, back and forth on, a, on an episode a few weeks ago. We were sort of saying, well, where do you start getting into that tipping point of like, what's the advantage of having Paramount Plus versus just getting stuff on air through cable on CTV Sci-Fi or, or services like that, where that's where obviously we're watching uh, Picard on or uh, Picard. Some of the Star Trek is available on Crave. Some of it's available on CTV Sci-Fi. And yeah, so if you want to watch this, you get one choice, and the choice is in Canada to subscribe to uh, to. Paramount Plus. So I got a couple of things to say about that. First of all, I saw the trailer for Halo today. It looks really cool, and mm -hmm. I like this. I like the Paramount Plus icon on the blue background. It's very nice. But, um, but what I'm going to say about this is I've never played Halo because I will not play. I don't. I don't want to ever own an Xbox, and so I'm probably never going to watch this show. Yeah. You know, with the magic of XCloud <laughs> gaming, where you won't even have to own. You know, a, a product you could, you know, xCloud game on your um, on your iPad if you wanted to. You technically would. Is that another barrier. subscription I can get? Yes. I, ooh, are they doing this part of Game Plus? I don't know. Like, uh, there's a whole set of things going on with streaming of games as a sort of adjacent thing. Um, and Google's in the game uh, with Stadia. I use uh, GeForce Now. There's nvidia's thing there's like a whole bunch and i'm not even like a super expert on it but you know tim you, you i think you hypothetically could play uh the halo games without ever yeah. actually owning an xbox yeah you know i actually did see an ad the other day i think yesterday or today saying you know refurbish xbox i looked at it for a second i went no I'm not gonna do it it's in, like how I met your fairness, father. We, for we me, could, we could know? loan something to you down the road. You know, I have played. I have played Xbox. You know, I have, right? Yes. But but I just don't want to own one. Is what I'm saying, right? <laughs> yeah, but a loan doesn't count as an own, right? Doesn't it? No, it's it's, it's a, a temporary. You, so I was gonna, you know, what I was going to say about the the Netflix thing. I was, was going to th throw in there. Have you ever actually read the user agreement that you signed to? You agreed to? Oh, I mean, who has really? 
Yeah, so I mean, how do you know that on the Xbox, you know, like the Halo disc copyright things, service leave love agreement or whatever, it doesn't say, you know, you have to play it in your house. Yeah. You can't lend it to your friend, you know? Yep. Well, and it comes back to that same thing that we have talked about. You know, what's the reason to continue collecting physical media in an era where everything's available to stream? Yeah. Because it's the easiest way to give it to a friend without running into stupid complications. And by the same token, like the same thing, like every every time I buy an, an iBook, right, or, or I buy a, an iTunes digital copy of something or a movie or whatever, I think to myself... Am I happy exclusively watching this myself, or would I like to lend it to Jonathan mm-hmm. on occasion? Mm-hmm. You know, and that that debate comes up all the time, right? So, yeah, I, I was, mean, I was really, disappointed yeah. to see uh, one of the things that I received for Christmas. My brother gave me a copy of the new James Bond movie, and I was like, "Oh, cool! I want to see this." Uh, but it was the first time in a very long time that somebody gave me a piece of physical media that didn't actually still include the digital copy. Really? Oh, really? Huh. It comes with the Blu-ray copy. It comes with the 4K Blu-ray copy, and that's it. Usually, if you splurge for the, the 4K copy, they will throw in the Blu-ray yeah. copy, and they'll throw in a digital copy. So you kind of get the best of all worlds. If you want to continue to have the physical media out where you're going to play it, you can do that, or you can just you know, watch it when you're going to watch it and keep it in a closet somewhere because you don't necessarily need it all the time because you have the streaming version. Uh, but yeah, I was I was a little disappointed that that was off the table from the MGM uh, release of, of No Time to Die. Is that the, is that not just this particular disc you got, or is it like is that the way it is for all their stuff? I don't know. I don't know. Because you can uh, buy the entire James Bond collection on iTunes right now for a pretty good price, right? Uh, not that I would do it, but yeah. It, well, and I, and I do own it. I, I do have the entire collection, so I have all of the James Bond movies with the exception of that one. So now as a as a completist and as somebody who does like those movies and will probably watch it again, I can either the ch- the challenge with that is that, you know, now I'm like, okay, so I have all the other movies on iTunes and they've upgraded the complete collection. So it includes that. But now I'm like, do I want to pay 20? I think it's 25 bucks or something crazy like that for the, the digital copy. Uh, maybe when they put it on sale one day for, you know, five or eight bucks or something like that, maybe I'll, I'll splurge and add it to my collection, but I'm not in a rush to spend that money. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like they they imply that, you know, the whole idea of owning a digital copy of a movie is like realistically how many times you're going to watch it. I mean, I own probably own like 20 or 30 titles on on uh, you know, Apple TV and whatever, and there's only there's only very few of them. I'd say probably five maybe 20% of those if that that are shows I would watch repeatedly or more than once, right? It's kind of funny that way, right? Yeah. That they that you know it, it's it's implied that you're going to watch it a lot of times. Like why why else would you you know want to have it right, other than to own it and watch it whenever you want, right? Yeah, yeah. Although it it is a strange kind of twist now because in some cases the copy that I have in theory is actually better on a streaming service than it is on the physical copy because what they did was they offered a digital copy when you bought the Blu-ray, but now They've upgraded all the iTunes library and the Google Play library and stuff like that to 4K. So I have a choice. I can either stream the 4K version or I can play the Blu-ray version. Yeah, which one are you going to choose? So you're actually like, if I think about what, you know, if I want to get the best experience, am I better off just putting my old copy in the closet and watching the streaming one? Yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 So we've got The Boys Season 3. 
teaser they call it teaser trailer but it feels like a regular trailer uh to me um looks uh looks pretty pretty interesting pretty intense that's coming up pretty soon you guys have thoughts from uh seeing the trailer seeing the trailer yeah i mean uh, so i've read read the book already so for me i'm a, I'm a little sort of spoiled although they are going in some unique and in, in different directions but um I'm excited. I mean, I, I I was so happy. We talk about, obviously, it's really easy to dismiss, you know, the, the ghettoization of science fiction and fantasy. It's happened for 75 years or, frankly, it's happened for 200 years. It'll continue to happen long after uh, I, I know I've shuffled off. You know, as much as we, we talk about how great it is to have the mainstreaming of things like Marvel, they're not exactly, I mean, with the, the small exception of Black Panther, they're not getting nominated for major awards. What they're mostly getting is, is you know, they make a lot of money for studios, but major, you know, major, uh, uh, you know, artists poo-poo them and say they're not real and they don't, they don't matter and they don't count. So having said all that, I love the fact that The Boys Season 2 got nominated for Best Drama at the the Emmy Awards because it was fantastic. It was so good. Uh, You know, and and we talked about that when we talked about our our Spocky Awards. Anthony Starr, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he could have won that award. Like, he is an absolutely captivating performer, and he was really, really good in that second season. So they definitely have caught on to something very special with this series. It is pretty over the top and it's pretty crazy, but it's also touching on something. I think it's really resonating. And I think I'm, I'm very few things I'm looking forward to more this season, this year than, than boys season three. They really have captured something pretty amazing there. Yeah, definitely. I haven't seen the trailer of this particular one, but when is it coming out? Do we know? I just season? closed the link and I didn't oh, memorize. Oh, oh. Oh, the show is ruined. Oh, no. <laughs> well, while, while you're looking for that, July I just... I want, I, oh, wait. Okay, hold on. Is, no, I, no, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry. June 3rd is the first three episodes. So they'll drop okay. the first three episodes, go weekly, and then the finale, the season finale, is July 8th. All right. Okay, good. Something to do this summer. Um, I, I want to ask you guys, speaking of trailers, um, have you seen the latest uh, Spider-Man trailer? Which Spider-Man trailer? Well, the No Way Home one. Oh, is it the funny one? The, well, the... no, it's like the one where they show all three of them, right? Like within the first 20 seconds of the trailer, right? Oh, no. Uh, no, I saw that they um, the they, they put out a goofy trailer on social media today mm-hmm. that's got like them. It's like kind of a bloopery kind of thing where they're, they're cracking up and they're being silly, stuff like that. So, no, I didn't see. They, they did one where they show the three Spider-Men. Yeah, yeah, and it, it well it shows Captain Marvel for a split second, and then it shows the three of them. And so Andrew Garfield was on um, one of those shows yesterday, and or, uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, and he was talking about his his uh, nomination and and um, or was it Tick Tick Boom or something? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know he's talking about being Spider Man and and filming the scene because apparently there's a, there's a, a classic um, comic book picture of the three Spider Men like landing in a room together looking at each other going what and uh they apparently reproduced that shot before they started filming actually they all put their uniforms on and then they went out without their masks on and they they did it they quickly did the meme and he said that's the first thing they did before they even got on set so before the even before he even met the other two actors he was dressed as as a spider person right and amazing i think he is um he's the amazing spider-man right Mm -hmm. andrew garfield 
yeah so yeah so i mean so the so three of them were sort of like reproducing that that same meme um uh, for a meme actually but uh yeah it was just it was interesting then and then like right after that they the, right after the, the interview they showed the spider-man uh trailer and like like poor jaime i'm thinking you know give it away like because it doesn't it like the for those of you who don't know <laughs> There are there is more than one Spider Man in this in this this movie, and Jonathan and I have been very good about not having any spoilers. But it's not until well into the movie that that actually actually happens, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously you know, with respect to Jaime and and some people who obviously didn't have the opportunity to see it like we did, you know, it, it has been a pretty open secret for a while that that that's, you know, I think even going into it, I think everybody knew that that was probably in the offing. But yeah, it's it's really funny how they've spun it around to be right there on Front Street. And now now they're saying like, you know, here here is, you know, here it is, you know, the like either they're, they're laying the card on the table right rather than sort of because i think when you and i went in to see it we we had we knew they were involved but we didn't know how they were involved right mm. the other two spider-men because you yeah. and i didn't know specifically what they were going to do or what what part of the story they would fall into right so mm. yeah and without spoiling it there there are lots of easter eggs in that movie that that will delight many many people yeah i mean it's again it's the how and and then the emotional resonance that matters so much more than the that it happens yeah. like i don't think it honestly i don't think it spoils it to know that that's part of the movie i think no it, I, as i'm saying but yeah. they're even they're even more enjoyable i'm just that's all i'm going to say yeah yeah no, <laughs> more sure. enjoyable things in there yeah for sure cool. for those of you invested in the marvel universe yep uh, and uh yeah so are we done with the boys because it was there's there some point yep. i mean i was looking at Okay. Oh, yeah, when it was coming, but he did. He told us that. Okay. All right, we'll so, to... Umbrella Academy. Yes, Umbrella Academy is returning in June. That was the uh, another series that I'm quite fond of. I, I really like the Umbrella Academy. I really, really enjoyed the first two seasons that they've done so far. And uh, we did get confirmation this week that the season three is coming on June 22nd. And this being the good folks at Netflix, it's going to drop all at once. So you don't have to spread it out over the summer. You just have to try and watch it all as fast as you can so that nobody spoils anything for you. So has the young actor grown at all since the last time? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it'll be I mean, really can't interesting. They, can't they find kids that don't grow? Like, what is Did, with this? Did the did the two of you watch season one and two of this? I can't recall. I watched. I think I saw season two. Yeah, I've seen both seasons. So, if you'll recall, this the second season sort of ends on a what the moment where they they finally season two is about this sort of time travel adventure where they they go back yes, in time yeah. and they all have their yep. sort of separate adventures and it all sort of culminates on them uh, being able to go back solving the issue saving the saving the universe and then having to go back to their original time, but there's a bit of a wrinkle there. So I think it's, uh, you know, we, we talk about how, you know, sometimes these series don't do themselves any favors by wrapping things up in a nice neat bow at the end of their seasons. Uh, I'm, I'm keen to see where they, how they do this and, and how they sort of pick up that thread that they left off. at. that was a good, not a ridiculous cliffhanger, not like, you know, literally somebody hanging off the edge of a cliff. It's, it's more of a, what, but I think it'll be really interesting to see how they they spin that forward. And I think it'll also be really interesting to see what they do with um, 
Elliot Page because I was of course say the same thing. Yeah, El- Elliot say has uh, transitioned from being Ellie Page to Elliot and um, is is now uh, identifying as a man. And I wonder how they will adopt that part of his life into. Uh, the storytelling if Elliot is going to be playing a character who transitions or if Elliot is going to be a um uh playing a female role I, I don't know I don't know how they're going to do it so I'm, I'm really keen to see how they they build that um uh, development in the actor's life into the story yeah for sure oh righty last but never least yeah new uh new Sanic trailer the final trailer before this movie <laughs> ends up hitting in uh, I know it's in April when when does this hit I can't believe how fast they rushed out a second movie. Doesn't it feel like it's super fast? Like, sometimes it feels like it's years between these things. It feels like it was like five minutes ago that the first one came out. Yeah, what were we just laughing? Well, they had that whole that whole snafu where they had to go back and re-render because everybody freaked out about the way he looked, right? That might be why it feels like it's so fast, because they burned like three to six months doing that, right? When they when they delayed it. I don't know how long it was, but it was a good, you know, good chunk of, of the year. So you would have to figure that they would at least start anticipating that it might be good, uh, e- even when they had their horrific art design prior, that, oh, let's start getting things lined up to start making the sequel and then keep going. So I, I'm going to guess it's that. that You know, the, the original plan was delayed a bit as they had to redo some of the, the post-production work. And given that it yeah. did pretty well, from what I can tell, um, it maybe not as uh, not as soon as we think. Do we have the, is it in this article? When did the original come out? Early 2020, two years here. It's tight. It's real tight. Usually it would be you know, two and a half to three years for this sort of thing, right? Yeah. Well, I just want to point out that we've been on this podcast for a while. Uh, <laughs> this particular one years? or just the whole well, series? This particular episode, yeah. <laughs> no, um, this season. Uh, we started in 2017. So how we're like coming up on it's almost five years, I guess, right? September? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've been at, we've been at this a while. So I can't remember when the Sonic movie was was we first talked about it, but it's been a while. Yeah, it just feels like it was last week, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a nutty you know two ish years. So um, I don't know what else to say about this other than it it looks fun. The 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 memes of plenty are going to come, I'm sure, from having you know Sonic knuckles and tails, and of course Jim Carrey as full-on Dr. Eggman or Dr. Robotnik, if you prefer, um, mm-hmm. you know, playing a very Jim Carrey-esque character. So see what was happens. Was he not one. in the first one? Is he? He was, uh, but he was, but he, he doesn't have the, the classic design. Um, he transitions into the classic design at the tail end of the movie, the uh, first movie. Uh, so here he starts it as like full-on Dr. Eggman. I did see the uh, the promotional poster, and the way that they did the poster to echo the old video game was bang on, really good. Yeah, they they certainly you know uh, you got to give them credit for 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 being C students that worked really hard to get this A. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they put in the work and they turned it around as uh, most improved. Yeah, cool. All right, well, that's it, folks. We're at the part of the show where we talk about Star Trek, and this time we're talking about, first of all, the season finale of season four. I can't believe season four is coming to an end. Uh, episode 13, Coming Home, and Jaime is going to do the recap. It's a good thing they put Jaime here on the notes so I could see who was going to do it. Over to yeah. you, Jaime. Yeah, I think um, it's it's a pretty, pretty packed hour. Um, it didn't feel like, uh, like a hold-my-beer moment, which thankfully it all felt reasonably straightforward 
in terms of you know where they close off storylines and everything so um you you end up with a lot sort of coming together we're going to talk about you know michael's journey and talk about book's journey tarka's journey uh maybe to a lesser extent the um the stamets culber family journey uh with the exception of gray who's just gone um <laughs> tilly and, and admiral vance the president uh the federation self and 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 the 10 c i don't know how we got this far without mentioning them but there's like a lot to wrap up here that i think was done reasonably satisfactory and 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 pretty much in line with what you would sort of think at a star trek um but, but let's roll in here so you've got uh you know some things we learned here like you know that the federation headquarters can split up into lifeboats and they can all, you know, warp out of there. And that's what they're using for evacuation of Earth. A bunch of ships joining the effort. Navarre has, like, hardly any warp-capable ships, it turns out. Um, they're spreading their their sort of help along um, Navarre, Earth, and uh, Titan in the Sol system. Wait, Navarre doesn't have warp-capable ships? Not much. They, they, they said it was, like, uh, 70, 80, something like that. Yeah, I think it was really? eighty six or something like that, and and it's because they all detonated when the oh the great the, the burn came game. right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, I guess the idea is that that's how many they now have that they've equipped since they've been able to use dilithium again. Right. Oh, I guess yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it kind of makes sense that they're kind of not in the the best fleet shape, given that in the prior season the whole burn thing was something they had to move past. And why would you invest in a lot of warp capable ships if dilithium is difficult to get? And it kind of kind of makes sense, um, you know. So the USS Mitchell's off helping folks on Titan, um, and it's kind of just all hands on deck everywhere to try to evacuate what you can from the planets before the DMA destroys them. You know, switching over to what the Discovery is up to, they're you know still caught in the Ten Seas orb. Um, we know that that Tarka, who has you know taken control of Book's ship, is is trying to go do his thing with the DMA power source. Go see his buddy Oros on the disco. They have with some. I view it as kind of humorous. They're like, "Who's the traitor?" Oh, we're gonna have to like detain a lot of people. <laughs> and Doya's <laughs> like, "Nope, it was me. It was just straight at me. I raised my hand here. Just lock me up." Okay, um, sure. <laughs> that was easy. Um, and, they, and they do a pretty good job of shaming her too, being like, "Oh, you mean before Tarka knocked book out, loser?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a little bit of dunking on her, despite her. Yeah, they kind of uh, did. They really did. Up. Yeah, they really kind of took her to task on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, in terms of what's going on with with Tarka and and, and Book, the the Ten C like can't handle the cool shape shiftingness of of Book's ship. Right, it's just difficult to to pew 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 him out of the way. Um, and simultaneously, the Ten C apparently are unable to understand and discern the difference between the people on on disco versus book ship is the discovery crew were trying to say you know in the the translated language of like hey let us go they're like what do you mean you're already free of the orb which is is strange to the disco yeah, crew that was so, part of your ship it must have been you yeah yeah it's like all part of your you know collective if we want to call it that yeah they think they're borg essentially yeah yeah so uh, Tarina decides to do a Vulcan mind meld, um, which is highly ill-advised, but, you know, when you got billions of lives at, at stake, why not try, right? And she's... By putting her really hand confused. up against the window, really, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, she's thinking that maybe the Tensi has no concept of individuality, and that's why they don't understand the request to let the disco go. So that'll that'll become important later in, in terms of like resolving this part of the story arc. Um, in terms of what's going on in Bookship, um, I think for the first time ever, we, we learn a tangible, concrete reason for why Grudge the cat exists. And it seems to me to be purely <laughs> to set up this moment where <laughs> we establish that the cat who lives on the ship does not like holograms. So the little um, uh, collar can disrupt the holograms and in this case be used to make a little kitty door to make the holograms go away on the ship. So it was a missed opportunity to not make uh, Jet Reno crawl through the kitty door on camera. I was going to say, yeah, and, and him as well. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was going to happen. I mean, I guess it's implied that it happened, but we never actually see that. And uh, uh, the the aforementioned collar also works as a good way to sucker punch Tarka, right? Because if you've got it around your fist and all the holograms go away from, from the collar, he just punches them real good. But meanwhile, you've got the the disco using uh, spinning because that's a good move to escape the orb, right? So I didn't see the show. <laughs> that's a <laughs> nice little Anakin shout out. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's kind of what came to mind because they said, okay, we're going to do something insane. We're going to use the spore drive without actually going anywhere so that all of the, the energy momentum that's built up has to go somewhere and maybe that'll dislodge us with the downside of, oh, It'll take us decades to get home because we won't have a, a concrete way to repair the spore drive because we'll need like a space dock to do that. So um, kind of interesting that they're like, oh, it'll take us decades to get home. And I'm like, what does it matter? <laughs> You'll save all your friends and family. <laughs> like, um, you, I, I make that sacrifice, you know, every time. Uh, but, you know, this is disco. They got to they got to set up the, the drama. And, uh, you know, speaking of drama, you've got um, Book needing to get Reno off the ship. Um, and on to Discovery to tell them, you know, what's going on, help them with the plan. And also just on a personal note, tell, you know, tell Michael that, uh, you know, I love her and to do whatever it takes, sort of implying, like, if you got to blow me up, blow me up. You know, and, so instead. And, and this, they cut back to Disco and everyone's like, yeah, we were going to do that anyways. <laughs> you got, you know, uh, uh, Reese was like, I was already loading up the quantum torpedoes i didn't even need yeah. to be told <laughs> yeah um, just waiting for a check mark sir yeah yeah and so they've got this you know suicide mission idea of like okay well we can get a shuttle we can have somebody you know play bumper cars with book ship and and dislodge it that way and and there's a little bit of a weird drama moment of like we'll need a good pilot oh okay well let's do uh i guess detmer you're, you're going bye-bye from this uh this crew but instead, Endoya offers herself as tribute. I was like, you know, I, the whole reason I did my shenanigans and then you all dunked on me is because I was trying, I was trying to do the right thing to save the people of Earth, right? I mean, I messed up, but I was trying to do the right thing. So that's that's kind of what they're they're gonna do. Um, but it was and, good. And, like it was a good little feint there because after building up the character for the last little while, they you almost bought it for a second. I gotta admit, you know, I'm not I'm not easily fooled by these things. But I was like. Wow, did they do all that work with her this season just to set her up to 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 shuffle her off in this moment? I was like, "Ooh, that's a good twist." And then of course, like it lasted like 5 seconds. I was like, "Oh, okay, that makes much more sense." 
Yeah, I think uh, we'll come back to one of the uh, twists. The twist is that there was no twist, um, which we mentioned, uh, I think, the episode or two ago. So, so hang on to that thought. Um, so meantime, in terms of what's going on back with the evacuation, again, it's all hands on deck. Uh, apparently, they're only going to be able to help all, like 450,000 people, which is nothing out of the billions that surely must yeah. live. Um, Admiral Vance is going to, you know, go down like a hero. He tells everyone to, to get out, except the only one who stays behind is, is Tilly. Cause she's like, I'm going to help you pew, 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 the space debris to make it just a little bit easier for, for you to do what you're doing, which means we might potentially save more lives. Right. Um, as you know, evacuation is no longer possible for anybody who's not already on a, on a ship, but you know, doing what you can to try to buy just a little bit more time for the discovery crew to do its thing. Um, and, and the aforementioned USS Mitchell, uh, warps in to save them, uh, sort of just in time, right? They were going to have a, a, a difficult time with the, uh, the debris heading towards them. So that was kind of a, a cool little moment. Um, kind of interesting to me, given what's happened the last few episodes that book like pretty quickly convinces Tarka that the plan wasn't going to work and makes him realize that like, look, after man, punching the tar out of his face though. Yeah. It, it's kind of like the... The, the old trope of people being hysterical, then you got to slap them back to <laughs> <Yeah>. sense. Apparently <laughs> right? with a cat collar around your hand. Yeah, because he like pretty quickly is convinced that like, yeah, you know, Oros is most likely gone and, and you know, they can stop this thing. But Tarka's like, I use this encryption key thing. Even I can't stop this in like the minute I've got left. But this is good timing for the, you know, the bumper cars to occur. So in a very complicated sequence of like following along. You've got Doye's shuttle colliding with Book's ship. And Doye is uh, apparently beamed away as it was like sort of blowing up or, or, or heavily damaged in that case. Tarka offers himself up as tribute, beams Book over to Discovery, at least as far as he knows, and uh, readies the little um, uh, interdimensional device that he wanted to use the DMA powered with and then that ship the book ship goes kaboom right um you've you've got the um the sort of weird moment of like oh it looks like books beaming over to the discovery's bridge and then uh no he didn't make it here <laughs> right it's like he is gone straight up gone so you've got the the drama moment of like this person has been lost so he's very near and dear to michael and oh by the way wipe those tears because uh, another orb is coming, so we got to deal with with more stuff. So they're set up the drama for like sort of the back third of this episode, where very quickly you've got um, the the last call for alcohol uh, at, at the HQ, where they're like, "There's nothing we could do. It's over now." But you know, it's inevitable. Let's just drink our way to oblivion. If if only uh, someone thought to bring rice and brandy or rice and whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to know where the Admiral was stowing those two little, little, uh, flasks of, of whiskey. Like he was just like all hands on deck, earth, Navarre, Titan, they're going to be destroyed. He's like, I better pack my whiskey. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got like the shoulder pads and stuff that nobody else seems to really have. So maybe it's in there. <laughs> I want to, do, do like Admiral's uniforms come with whiskey pockets or how does that work out? Storage compartments. Um, <laughs> um, the the Star Trekky thing that sort of happens in in the next part of the sequence is that the crew ends up like teaching the Ten C 
how to count beyond one, that there is something of individuality, right? And, and I think they probably were able to observe that sort of thing. If I'm reading outside the lines of like, why, why did they crash into each other's ship? What the hell was happening sort of thing? If they're all just one, one individual, um, that's probably what the 10 C were, were needing is their own sort of slap in the face of like, Oh, these truly are individuals who may not have the, the same motives. And uh, you get the little call down of uh, the crew taking a shuttle to the surface inside the orb and seeing the absolutely massive 10 C's without the sort of cloud of, of nebula gas around them. And they're, they're, they're massive creatures. The, uh, the president. Okay. So that, <laughs> I've got to, I got to laugh a little bit at this part because you know, they've established that they got better at learning the language. And so they've got this like complicated device that uh, Saru is going to be the, the, the typist, right? Um, and, and with the help of, of Zora, they're going to be able to more concretely, you know, translate and speak to the Tensi. At the same time, I am shocked at how complicated some of the, the statements people were making. Oh, if I was talking, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, 100%. we know how to tell them what a cat is and what the difference between two cats versus one cat is. And you want me to, as a yeah. here, make this big old speech that you probably want in a dedication plaque. And it's beautiful. Great. But I'm, I'm struggling to communicate that with these ones and zeros that I've been given. <laughs> Yeah, I that was the part of the episode where I was like, okay, back up, hold on. Like, what are you kidding me? They went from like uh smells like fear to like I would like to express my innermost feelings <laughs> in I mean, one. That's where episode. I said my comment about where's Yoshi when they need her because she always yeah, that's that's right. Yoshi, yeah, Yoshi, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean I, I the only way I can map the two things is we don't really see what Saru himself is typing, so maybe he's like yeah, that's cool. You're like, we good. You good. <laughs> DMA bad. You know? <laughs> so, he's like, you know, taking some liberties here. He's like, look, man, I, I got to use the translations that I got. This is what you get, man. You pay, you get what you pay for here. <laughs> um, so along this sort of lines, you know, the 10 C you're confused by like, uh, why the heck were, you know, these others, in this case, they're referring to book and target. Like, why are they trying to destroy the DMA and Michael's like, look, your DMA destroyed his home planet of Quajon. Right. And I guess in the, you know, you good, we good DMA bad. They're <laughs> like, Oh, okay. My bad. We're, we, you know, we'll, we'll turn off the DMA. And, uh, you know, why, why, why are you sad? I think we did this thing you wanted. Uh, it's like, Oh, well, you know, Michael lost her, her individual. Her one. Her, her one yeah her one and like oh snap we could totally beam him back no problem <laughs> just beam yeah, we, had, we had him in the buffer we had him in the transporter buffer yeah and that was we were, the thing we were gonna put him in a cage somewhere this is this all worked out nicely that was the thing that was wild i'm like they read through your you know your mail <laughs> they're just rifling through it they're like so we noticed this beam out happening at a kind of interesting time so we decided to intercept it and then i don't know they they kept him in the in the pattern buffer the same way that Scotty did to himself to save himself, right? Yeah, why couldn't they beam Elnor back, though? <laughs> Maybe they could. Maybe that's the crossover between the two series. Yeah, we've um, had him in the buffer for like 5,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in terms of the, you know, these creatures are so different, they didn't even notice life forms was sort of the, the key reason that, like, they just 
like the same way that they had talked about on the show, we may not even notice ants because we're so much different than they are. And I just, thought they were doing like the uh, the New York uh, liberal elite of like, I don't see color. <laughs> I don't see individuals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't even notice that you guys are individuals because I'm highly enlightened. Yeah, they, they didn't go that route, but they didn't go the, <laughs> we didn't even notice you were light forms. So like, you know, we didn't intend to kill you all. We're just, you know, using the DMA to to do what it does because that powers the, the hyperfield, which is protective to us. And they're obviously very scared of like, look, man, we, we can't turn this thing off altogether, right? Like we, we tried to compromise and say, all right, we'll put it in, you know, non, um, uh, non-populated areas of the galaxy. Uh, and the disco crew is like, that's not cool. It's still dangerous. It's still problematic. And so they, you know, end up having a good old conversation about like, look, we, we know you're afraid of what will happen with the hyperfield stuff, but you know, you, join, you us. Can't live. join us on the other side. Yeah. You can't live totally uh, full of fear. And I think this will come up when we talk about uh, Saru and, uh, and Tarina, but there's kind of similar feelings there, right. For the theme. Ultimately, the the Tensi does apologize and and turns off the uh, the hyperfield, so you know the crew can go back on the discovery. By the way, the DMA can also you know, create wormholes. That's a your Janeway home kind of moment. Yep. Uh, so that kind of solves the, uh, the the spore drive sort of issue. Everybody gets to celebrate and reunite with Tilly. Uh, they aforementioned Saru and Tarina. They're totally going to hook up. And <laughs> was I the <laughs> only one looking at the two of them as they're holding hands thinking I can't quite get the math to work? I don't know. I, I don't know uh how they, they line things up there. <laughs> I mean yeah. they're I, I get obviously we've seen interspecies relationships on, on track, but and I say this with you know, I mean obviously we've had Klingon characters, but they're human more human ish than what we've seen with Saru as a Kelpian. Like I, I, we haven't gotten into Kelpian anatomy and everything, but I, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it's more of a platonic love deal than it is a physical love kind of deal, but still seems a little off. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how it'll work, but it, at least as presented on screen with, um, I, I didn't mention that Saru had had the a conversation with Tarina about like, um, you know, it, it basically boils down to love can be painful. It's so awkward uh, opening yourself up to somebody, but it's so much better to do even with all the downsides, given that, you know, your regret will be not spending time with with people that you're happy with. And I think that was sort of the theme that was supposed to line up with the uh, turning off the DMA to remove the hyperfield of like, yeah, it's going to be riskier, but closing yourself off is not, you know, closing yourself off from the world is not the, the way to live because it's not truly living is the, the theme that I'm getting out of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got kind of a nice little recap of the season from Michael and the president. You know, they didn't start out seeing eye to eye necessarily. They kind of understand each other better. Um, this, this part of the show reminded me of the, um, the last three chapters of the Lord of the Rings, where it yep. just goes on and on with 500 people saying goodbye to each other. Yeah, it's, it's an ending. No, wait, this is the ending. No, wait, I was this is say, the ending. Like, yeah, like, like is there going to be another season? Like, does there need to be another season after this? I think we'll, 
we'll have a, a, a main theme for for the next season. So we're almost there, right? So so in between, we've got the um, so what's going on with book like straight up committed a lot of crimes and in the spirit of as long as uh you know you end up being a hero in some way they'll mostly wipe clean your crimes right so like admiral kirk hijacks the enterprise he doesn't spend the rest of his life in prison he just gets busted down the captain and continues to <laughs> roll around to the ship right the, the the federation is pretty pretty light when it comes to to punishment so in this case he's going to get his community service helping refugees on uh, europa which Honestly, isn't that bad. I thought for sure he'd end up in prison somewhere. But that would spoil the love story, right? It does. It does. So you know, he's still available for conjugal visits and stuff. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, we see you know montages of the, the 10C cleaning up their mess, um, the crew getting shore leave, and this was the twist that was not a twist. We were talking about, oh my gosh, Culber and Stamets are talking so much about like, I can't wait until this is over so we can love each other and be together forever. That we assumed <laughs> meant one of them would die, you know, as a uh, never utter famous twist. last words. Exactly. Exactly. And we've got the closeout of the Federation beginning diplomatic discussions with uh, Navarre and uh, Earth, Titan, Teller, like a whole bunch of folks of like trying to rebuild the Federation. So I do think, Tim, this is where the next season will go of like the struggles of of building up that new federation again i mean they sort of had that a bit here and there in this season but sort of the overriding concern was solving the the dma problem yeah did um did you guys catch the strange cameo at the end of this episode i did not and then saw people talking about it on the interwebs and had to look up and like oh okay that's why that person is familiar yeah, no, I'm 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 a sadly I'm an American politics uh, uh, enjoyer. I, I I like American politics, so I recognized her immediately and was like, "That is extremely random. Like, wh- who put two and two together to get that math?" Uh, so we're talking about, of course, the president of um, United Earth is played by Stacey Abrams, and Stacey Abrams is the um, famous Democratic organizer, gubernatorial candidate, and mm. uh, and and sort of um, one of the people who is most widely acknowledged as as the people who uh, who turned the tides in Georgia and ended up with uh, with the Democrats holding or taking control of the Senate, and. Um, it's not like she's just sort of like a walk on, like she's got lines. Like it, it's, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not, I mean, it's not a huge part and she probably only has like, you know, eight lines, but it's not nothing either. And I was like, that is wildly random. Yeah, I, definitely. I don't know it enough is. about her to know if she's like a, just a massive Trek fan or if this is like, she is, I, I know that obviously Sinequa Martin Green would have spent a bunch of time in Georgia when she worked on Walking yeah, Dead, so maybe true. they have a, true, a friendship yeah. or a relationship or something. I, I don't know what the circumstances are. I'm sure there'll be like a dozen articles by tomorrow. They maybe she's just now. catching her up on on uh, Daryl and and Rick and yeah you know, Maggie and yeah. But uh, yeah, weird, 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 weird. It took. It took. I gotta admit, it was like it's. It was. It was a little stunt casty for my taste, and it took yeah. me out of the episode. I was like, "What? What? No, come yeah. on." Yep. I mean, and I have nothing but admiration for Stacey Abrams and the work that she's done in Georgia, but it just smacked of of stunt casting. <laughs> it was just. It was kind of yeah. weird. Yeah. 
Um, okay. Now we've we've reached the end. We've reached the end of of season four of Discovery, and I know we've had some waxes and wanes. We've had some good things and some bad things. Some of us have been more editorially critical than others. I would like to know from both of you what your sort of final thoughts are on how this season came together and played out, particularly relative to the previous seasons. You know, obviously, there's it seems like they sort of follow this pattern the last few seasons of set up the big bad pay it off wrap up the season what uh what did you guys think of this overall now that we've reached the end do you want me to go first because i think i'm probably the positive take and then we'll get the (laughs) (laughs) we'll get the equal time sides for tim so i'm i'm positive on the season it does have flaws i do think that um they did a better job of of refining some of the rough edges that go Mm -hmm. into the the star trek discovery way of telling story with like a lot of weird drama that sometimes is inappropriate, but I think they got closer to, um, not weekly episodic Star Trek per se, but it had more of that flavor to it where you could have, you know, quieter moments in between the bigger set pieces. Um, I do feel like this season at 13 episodes, I think the reason I was able to say, Oh, this episode doesn't have a hold my beer feel to it, which I think we've almost always talked about when it comes to, to, to new Trek. And I think the reason it didn't have to hold my beer in this episode is because I kind of feel like this season didn't warrant 13 episodes. I feel like they had yeah, maybe yeah. 10 episodes they, that they had to stretch yeah. out and fill up with potatoes. To, they to, could have cut to, 20 minutes from this episode as well. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, I think that some of the 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 Tarka stuff, some of the book stuff, could be trimmed. Um, I mean, it's kind of cool seeing Tilly with like the cadets, but you kind of don't necessarily need that unless, as we mentioned, unless they're trying to lead off into a, a an academy or cadets sort of series or something. Like, it just felt like you could trim out at least two episodes, possibly three, and have a really solid ten. Um, and so I think that's why it, it felt better in terms of a contrast to what we've seen of like yeah you you didn't plot it out appropriately and now in the final episode you, you got to wrap up all these storylines not true this season so i give them uh, a little bit more of a benefit of doubt for that i think they i think when it comes to the episodes and keeping it at the number that they're keeping it at i think that just again i think we've talked about it countless times but i think that's a dollars and cents decision i think that's you know, we need we need subscribers to be on the hook for X number of weeks because that's what our that's how we keep people on the line, right? I mean, that ten, they don't s- want to do ten episodes. That would make sense if they weren't intentionally overlapping with Picard. Mm. So I can't I can't like yes I do understand and and would cynically believe that that's their overriding concern, but I wish I knew underneath you know all of the layers what happened here why are they overlapping with picard but we so don't much? know that that decision wasn't made later in the process too that right? could have been a covid yeah. thing too yeah who knows mm, right? yeah. that could have been a de- delay or whatever i mean what's odd to me is like like yeah why did tilly come back you know vance was gone for most of the season this time um you know odd things like the president going with them to solve the big big problem um like like the thing about it is is like you know, there were there were episodes in sec- season two and season one, like I'm thinking of the Harry Mudd episodes and stuff like that, right? Where the, you could watch that by itself. You could that was a standalone episode. You could enjoy that. It would be very trekky. 
I don't know that there was any any episode this in this season where you could just watch it beginning to end and, and be satisfied that it was a complete story. And I mean, I don't mean to say that I think they should wrap up every episode in 40 minutes like they do on every other version of Star Trek. But um, and, and it, it, interesting that it took Reno's wake up call to book and, and ultimately th- through book to Tarka that. You know, you can go to this other universe, but that's not the same people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Which is, you know, sort of like, you know, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of multidimensional. And, the, and again, you know, knowing how people, you know, are raised by their circumstance, you know, like you can't you can't expect to go to another universe and have the exact same person with the exact same experiences, you know, and have them end up in, in a position that you're familiar with, right, as a person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, like you look at your two kids, for example, like they're, they're both, you know, they, they both started relatively the same place and they're, they've ended up in completely different places and they'll, they'll continue through their lives like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and even though they were, they had the same impetus the whole time. Right. Um, you know, I mean, one was, one started out earlier, but you know what I mean? Like, like, but the, the, you know, the trouble I had with this this season is they did a lot of there's a lot of things that just you know they could have just not gone there with you know um, like it's interesting that like you 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 were guessing that you know something was going to happen between Stamets and Culber because of the way they sort of you know said that you know um, telegraphed you know that was something was going to happen and they, they need to go on vacation together they do end up going on vacation at the end of this and so does. Detmer and, and Oyo and, and um, Reese, right? They all mm-hmm. go off to their respective Hawaii's or whatever. Um, you know, which, you know, they could have just done that in a bit of narration rather than filming that scene, but, you know. Um, yeah, and the voiceover by Burnham at the very end and, and the the gratuitous shot of show. I, I mean, I didn't understand the, the, the spaceships or whatever, the space stations around um, around Earth, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like when you first see it, I think it was the beginning of the episode where you see that sort of spinny ship. I looked at it and I went, what show was this? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we've never seen a ship like that before. I think it's the one that Tilly was on, right? Well, that's, um, that's Federation headquarters, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was the, the, the ship that was spinning and she was coming with the, the cadets to, to help, you know, wasn't that Federation Headquarters? I thought that That's was... what I thought too. I thought it was Federation no, it was Headquarters. Ship. It was a ship spinning. Yeah, like, yeah, that but is it was Federation like Headquarters. A portable, like a portable. Because remember they were set up from last yeah, season. Okay. They were set up inside that like gas cloud kind of thing, right? They were hiding okay, from okay. the yeah. from the. Um, well, and they have all the Indorian cadets come and fill Indorian. sandbags and shore up the shores and all like like that analogy. Like they, yeah. they kind of did that sort of thing and and. Um, yeah, I mean, they don't. I mean, they don't often do that. Like you know, in in other movies, like in Star Trek, where there's some like I'm thinking of like like First Contact and a few other ones where you know the the Earth is being attacked. They don't really go through the sort of what's happening on Earth while you know Kirk and Spock and you know are off saving the world or Picard or whatever, right? So we're saving literally saving the world. Yeah. But um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, is is like and you know the sort of the the Sides, a lot of asides in this in this episode this season i should say like you know the the one i pointed out or lot i think you you mentioned it last week where where saru and and uh, michael burnham go off and have a scream therapy mm-hmm. session and, you know or even saru with his plants and don't water this one and it'll take your arm off if you try to get too <laughs> close to it and you know that kind of stuff where he had t- i think tilly finding something for tilly to do like i mean because it kind of that that's a puzzling story point like why I mean, was it something about the actress had to go off and film a movie or something? Like, why did she have to leave the show, right? 
Especially since you guys seem to really like that character, right? Yeah, I, I thought yeah. Mary Wiseman was like a delight. Yeah, she's funny and whatever, but I mean, like, did, did they want to have a humorless season or something like that? I don't know. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the whole the whole thing between Michael Burnham and, and Book and Booker and, and how, you know, they were buddies for like five years and then, the, you know, Discovery caught up with them and now they have to take different sides and he's going off to f- do this thing. I don't know, it's just, it was odd. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it varies, very serial in that you couldn't really sort of consume one episode and be satisfied you had to sort of you know and but the cliffhangers between each episode weren't that great you know what i mean like if you compare that to what we just saw in picard we've had two three episodes so far two episodes how many episodes have we had three three and you know we've had a decent cliffhanger at the end of each one right you know so yeah i don't know it's it's, i mean it's track i mean it's it's like you know to to me it's like um like i i there isn't a, a bad star wars I felt like this season did a, a better job of taking its time. I mean, we, we obviously we you know we we just criticized it for taking thirteen episodes when it probably could have done ten, but it did at least use those episodes to logically build characters' arcs. You know, we talked about Culber, obviously. We talked about um, uh, Gray and Adira. There, you know, to even Tilly. You know, uh, her decision to sort of working up to her wanting to leave, like they. The relationship between Saru and Tarina, like they did let things breathe in a much more organic way than I think we're used to on Trek. Like Trek sometimes takes these huge leaps. Like when Troy and and Worf hook up on TNG, you're like, that came out of nowhere. It wasn't like, you know, they flirted for, you know, a year and then they finally got together. It was just like one episode you tuned in and it was like, hey, Worf and, and Troy are hooking up and you're like, what? What? Like that's yeah, yeah. that's that's a a big leap. I feel like at least on this show, they put things out there in a very organic way that feels way more naturalistic. And 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 I mean, I maybe it's obviously the writing, but it's and it's the maturity of the audience. But also, you know, like it just it makes for more satisfying natural feeling consequences of things it's not just out of left field where like if if they just started that one episode with tilly where it's like and by the end of the episode she's out of there you'd be like this makes no sense she was happy last week why is she suddenly leaving whereas if you show her dissatisfied for five or six episodes and clearly not happy and then you get the payoff you're like oh yeah no that totally jibes and it's way easier to digest so i think from that perspective this season was was very satisfying. Like I felt like I was invested with the the characters. I, I didn't love the Tarka book stuff. I, I didn't find Tarka. I mean, you know, we've we've had this sort of single minded uh, egomaniac character played out through through sci fi. The Nexus, the, the Nexus. Sure, like, it's sure. Like the same character over and over sure. again. Sure. Right? But yeah. but I do think that for a lot of the season, the way that the characters that we've come to enjoy over these past four years interacted and the way that they dealt with what was going on in their lives, it felt very down to earth, very grounded in a way that Trek doesn't typically do. And I, and I really enjoyed that part. Yeah. So my, my one criticism I want to talk about, though, is is is. I think, you know, the fact that they've come 900 years in the future and, and the Federation is kind of disbanded, right? Mm-hmm. Um, did they really need to reestablish the Federation? Like, or could they not have gone, like, could the writing have not gone 
on to something bigger, better, and, and you know, whatever, right? And then where the hell are the Klingons, you know? Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, 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 like the, we ended up, we end up with this Federation being reestablished. Well, why do we need, did that really need to happen? Can we not move on to something else in, in Star Trek? you know worlds it's true but then i think that's about establishing a comfort level for both the characters and for the audience right if they come into this future where there is no federation and discovery is the catalyst for the reformation over the course well, of i want to see seasons, the firefly season that we missed with booker and, and michael burnham by themselves i want to see that that was kind of that sounded like firefly to me you know yeah like, where they're just traveling around the galaxy Possibly committing crimes slinging, and slinging guns and yeah, yeah. you know, aim, aiming to misbehave and all that stuff, right? I, I agree with you. I think that would have been a lot of fun. They, t- they did a little, a little bit of that with the casino scene, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, not much, you know. Yeah. No, I think that that would have been a lot of fun. I'm, I, I think that would be a good one to do, like a comic book spinoff or you know, a book mm-hmm. or or something where you could have you know had some time with that. But I, I, yeah, it, I think the challenge with this one is just. The whole season is, did you ever buy for a second that Burnham was going to have to kill Book or Book was going to like really screw over Burnham in a, in a, in a way that was beyond what we saw? Well, I got to say that when they brought him back, when they beamed him back onto the ship, I was a little disappointed. I mean, like, not that I don't like the character and I don't like the dynamic between the two people. Like, I was ready to accept the fact that he's dead and we're going to move on. No, in that moment, I mean, that was the Because he did, doesn't he worst... leave at the end of it? He kind of just, he says, I got to go and gets beamed out mm-hmm. at the very end? He does. But the, it's the part where they, like, when they sort of say, like, oh, we're going to, you know, he's going to be killed. And, uh, you know, oh, we didn't save him. And, and Burnham's all emotional. And, oh, I can't believe this tragic thing. I did not buy that for a nanosecond. Like, that yeah. was ridiculous ridiculous yeah. there's no yeah. way that that was the, the case right that that didn't make any logical sense you don't kill a character that you've spent two seasons with with just oh and it was a transporter accident like that's just not how those things go so yeah, yeah. you know as much as we talked about like some of the things that they either really telegraphed or faux telegraphed or or you know what's what's happening what's not going to happen that one was kind of a joke like there was no moment where i was like and we're never going to see book again like so Sometimes these faints are a little transparent, but uh, yeah. All right, we're talking too much. Jaime, Jaime, what do you think? Um, I, I give a, a positive to this this season. It's uh, it's got flaws. I I see um, some promise for what they can do next season. You know, making things a little bit more evened out. It does make can we me get think new about... uniforms this next season, please. New uniforms. That's all I ask. For. I like those uniforms. I thought they looked sharp. Ah, uh, sorry. They look. The hems are so stupid. <laughs> so, so stupid. So, as somebody who is very far away from the, the kind of folks who might make these sorts of things, that <laughs> goes way over my head. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just. Do, do my, you own a keen... button up? Do you own a button up shirt or a button up coat? Uh, do you? Yes. You do, right? So tomorrow when you get up or today when you get up, skip a button and then tell me that looks normal. I mean, it's like I'm not it's, like, say it's like a grade two person doing it. It's like some it's like an eight year old putting on a shirt by themselves for the first time. And, you know, <laughs> like they miss a button and everything ends up being like, why do I have this extra button? That's Harsh. what it looks like to me every time I see it. Drives me crazy. I was in high school in the 90s where insanely baggy pants, pants that, that <laughs> cover none of your drawers were were there. So, like, I, I could buy that the uniforms might look like this. But again, coming from a, a, a layman's view of how this sort of stuff works. 
So, so totally, totally recognize that. So I, I agree with, um, with Jonathan's view that like, I, I like the look of these, uh, maybe cause I, I mean, don't yeah, see that from, detail. The, from, from the waist up, they're fine, but like, just like, don't show them below the waist. Like it just looks <laughs> stupid. Um, cause, cause I mean, they're symmetrical at the top. Like why, why are they like, yeah, anyway. So, I, and I posted a tweet about the picture today when I was, when I was watching the episode and somebody replied to me that, that, you know, the, the, what annoys him is the, is the fact that this is a uh, John Josh Steele said, you know, uh, the thing that annoys him is that only captains and admirals have pips, and what annoys him is you can only see the pips on their badges, which you can't see on TV from a distance. Yeah. Right? I guess at this point, four seasons in, you're supposed to just know what everybody is. Yeah, but I mean, like, I get confused when they call Picard Admiral, like, you know, mm. like, what? what? Mm-hmm. You know? Or Kirk gets bumped down to captain, yeah, whatever, you know? Yeah. Gandalf the white, Gandalf the gray, which, which pick a lane, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's spin over to Picard. Speaking of Picard, yes, so this week we saw the second episode of season two um, called, the third, sorry, third episode of season two called Assimilation. Second one that I've done a recap on, that's that's where I got confused. Yes, so if you'll remember last week, they had a really good, as I said, you know, um, what do you call it? What's the thing called? What do you call it when an episode has like a cliffhanger? Thank you. There you go. Thanks Thanks for helping me out there. So, you know, last week we saw them at gunpoint or blaster point, uh, you know, being held by the magistrate who beams on the ship at the last minute. And so we start the episode with exactly that, that position. And, uh, you know, he shoots El, El, Elnor and uh, it, we see that at the end of the last season, last episode. But, uh, you know, and then Rafi decides she, she wants, she can't stand it. She says, go help him. And he's like, ah, what are you doing? I thought you said a safe galaxy was a human galaxy. Why do you, why do you care about this this Romulan trash? Um, here on Romulan, right? Yep. Um, and then you know, seven decides seven shot decides to. Uh, I'm going to call her seven shot from now on. Um, whenever she she tries to 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 bluff her way into getting the magistrate to stand down, she says, oh, "I order you to stand down." And he looks at her and goes, "Like, yeah." And and by what authority, dear? sort of thing and uh he kind of he's i think he's already suspecting that you know this isn't quite the the woman he you know married as it were or the or the, the real president he's there's something odd about her he threatened to have her scanned last week if you remember and uh he says you know uh he says to her like okay what's my full name and she looks at him and he goes uh-huh thought so and knocks <laughs> her across the face um and she falls down and and um so as as she's down on her uh, down south of him, as it were, she reaches up and grabs his his blaster, and then Rafi does the same thing to one of the other guys. And next thing you know, the you know there's a big tussle, and everybody's getting tossed around, and and uh, Rafi manages to shoot. You know, does the thing where you grab the guy and you pull and get him to pull his trigger, and he blasts, and and not they're not set to stun or or to to you know slightly maim. I don't again. I don't. I'm thinking back to the shot that that hit Elnor. How come Elnor is still here? Because these shots are now set to disrupt, and they get blasted into oblivion. And uh, for a second there, I thought the magistrate was going to survive, but uh, Rafi ends up obliterating him too. And then, and then <laughs> Seven kind of looks at her and like, I don't know if she was like, "Why did you do that?" or "What a relief." I, I wasn't quite able to read that that thing, but I think I think the two of them, Rafi and, and Seven, shot were like, you know, they were happy that that they're gone, right? And uh, Picard says to, to Rios, like, "Get us out of this damn place." 
Anyway, so Rafi and Seven take Elnor to the sick bay, and they're panicking because they can't find all the bits and pieces and tricorders and stuff that they need. Because you know, obviously, I don't know why Rios's ship is um, not set up properly, but uh, so they they manage to patch him up. And then, of course, as they're you know trying to leave the the um, Earth orbit, um, the uh, the the baddies start attacking them with these really heavy duty ships with these you know heavy duty blaster photon type phaser nice sounding you know resounding shots that are being fired at them and and uh, so seven runs up to the the con to help um uh, rios battle off these people and battle off these ships and they uh, shoot them and for a split second there you see q and he says to picard you know in his ear he says this is the only life you understand when you pew, 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 and action and, and mayhem and whatever. He says, shall we see what else you have lost in the wake of your fear? And he just turns to talk to him, and then he realizes that he, he, he's gone. He's not really there. Um, and then one of, the, one of the, the ship takes a hit, or Rios does a quick turn to get away from Blast or whatever, and the, the queen's sort of harness thing that she's in falls over. And... Um, in the ready room, they showed us that they showed this particular scene as a preview. Um, so, uh, um, Dr. Gerardi's also falls down and, uh, yeah, sorry, just skipping a saw the wrong part of my note. Um, Queen falls over and, and she's released from her, from her harness. And, and, uh, um, Agnes looks over and sees, uh, the, the queen walking on her hands, um, coming towards her and she's like freaking out and oh my God, no, she's on the loose. And it took me a while to figure out that there isn't really, you can't really see it, but like, you know, from the bridge to the, to where they're attaching her to the engines, it's quite a far distance, probably like, you know, 60 feet or so, right? So you really can't see back that far, which is why there's a scene where, uh, what, as the magistrates, you know, got the, them at gunpoint, Agnes starts to take apart the, the get the, the, the ship ready to plug in the, the board cream. She's making a lot of noise, but I guess she's far enough away that they can't really see her back there, right? Um, so the queen decides, well, let me do it, she says, and she basically raises her arms and the tendrils come out and she she plugs herself into the ship and starts to take over. And uh, she's, you know, she, she says to, you know, um, eliminating um, or neutralizing or calculating temporal trajectory. And then she says neutralizing threats. And all of a sudden she takes over the the I guess the firing mechanism or whatever and and blows up all the ships around them and Rios is like what the hell and then he realized that that she's actually taken over the ship and she's actually flying the ship and he's not in charge of it anymore which he says to Picard and then Queen as she's sort of in her um, crucifix type pro pose says you know move backward to go forward shatter to mend the past is now and then next thing you know they start to they get into warp and they start warping towards the sun and you know they hit like you know warp seven warp eight warp nine and up to 9.5 kind of thing and then you know as they go around the sun and they do that thing that, that spock calculated on how to get time time travel going um the screen goes wide and you get that whole sort of like um frozen you know look that they used in in uh, very similar to what they used in in uh um, Star Trek Four, I think it was when they go back mm-hmm. to Voyage Home, mm-hmm. and you know, get that sort of everybody's frozen and all the, the lenses are all flaring and stuff like that. And and on Agnes's face, you could see the tears moving up her face into her eye as opposed to down. And then the next scene, of course, for continuity, they screw up because the tear is much further down her face. <laughs> oh well, too bad. Um, art direction loses a point for that one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so the. Um, 
and then we hit to the title scene of or the titles come on to the and then they're they're coming towards the earth, and the gravity of the earth is pulling them in, and they're about to crash. And and uh, they're like, "Where should we can't crash this ship into into Los Angeles? You know, a spaceship into Los Angeles? It's going to be, you know, they didn't have space. I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't remember having spaceships, you know, in in, in our time, uh, except for or ones that look like giant uh, male uh, sex organs. Yeah, yes, that's true. That's true. Yes, that's, those are spaceships, true. And um, they. Um, Anyway, so so Picard says, "Well, we'll take you home." I, I think he means they're going to France to to like where his his family's property is, and yeah, because he punches in the coordinates and they crash there. They don't really say it, but that's kind of where they end up. Yeah, he says, "We're taking uh, you, yeah, yeah, we're taking you home," which I assume yeah, I, I assume it uh, the Picard property. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, so they they manage to crash on the Earth, and and they kind of survive. They have like very limited power, and and the Queen is like unconscious and. Uh, uh, but she's still connected to the ship, and she's draining power to sort of preserve herself. Meanwhile, Elnor's dying in the in the sick bay, and he starts joking with uh, with Rafi and tells her to take out his medallion. And it gives him comfort, and she reads off um, on it. In uh, she reads the Romulan to him, and he says, "Yeah, now is the only moment." And then, he, then he's gone, so he passes out. And of course, I mean, dead. And and Rafi's distraught about that whole thing, and and. Um, Picard is, you know, a, a little bit emotionlessly saying, "We have to press on. We have to get on with the job of of what we're doing here. We're here to find this watcher. We're here to find, you know, um, way to reset the timeline." That, yeah, that Queen said we're here, and and Rafi says, "You know, I I have to I have to say that I'm disappointed in leadership." You know, obviously she's not happy with with uh, implying that she's not happy with Picard. You know, why why has history been changed? Like, what's the point here? And and. She accuses him of always playing games with Q as if Picard owns some of this, right? Um, which maybe he does, and, and uh, Picard just sort of says, this is what Q does. He just messes with people for the sake of messing with them, right? And, you know, the Queen says we have a, a, there's a watcher here and that that person can help, and so we have to f- get her back up and running so we can figure out where, where this is. And, you know, uh, Rios and Rafi, and Rafi's like, I'm not going to sit around here and, and wait for this to happen. I'm just going to go and beam off and, and figure, find out what's going on and, and give this Watcher person a piece of her mind and cue if she runs into him as well. Um, so Rios and, and Seven Shot and, uh, and, Rio, and uh, Rafi decide they're going to beam into the city, and Agnes is very clear with them about not messing with the timeline. As Butterfly Effect, she even mentions at one point. And she says, you know, you have to avoid hospitals, you have to know authorities, don't get involved with security. If they scan you, they can find the, the vaccine chips that we've all had implanted in us that they don't have in this time. So be very, very uh, careful about that, right? So that was a very know, funny she, and not subtle nod to our current life. <laughs> oh, the vaccine chips? The yeah. Vaccine chips? yeah. Yeah. Like, we all have vaccine chips in our bodies now here in the future. Yes. Get over yourselves, oh, 21st yeah, we, oh, century. I have, I, yeah, I have a great 5G reception. I keep telling people that, but nobody believes me. Anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, so they decide they, they need to wake the queen up. And, and, uh, and yeah, so Raf, or Rios recaps. We need to wake the queen. We need to beam from a ship that has no power. And we have to find the Watcher. And, and of course, uh, Picard says, yes, that's right. So, um and he he sort of said, like, you know, he looks at the queen and he's like, you know, or they were sort of talking about the fact that the queen may in fact be, because Agnes has got a um, a scan or a tricorder or something, some sort of device, and she can sort of see what's going on with the queen. And uh, she realizes the queen isn't able to talk, but she does seem to have some, some you know, consciousness or some thought processes are going on. And um, Lacutus, sort of, he says, when I was Lacutus, we used to communicate by thought, basically. 
And uh, so the Agnes sort of says, well, the queen's kind of in recovery mode as she tries to, you know, reinstall herself from iCloud, as Jaime would say, right? <laughs> After being thrown in the water or river. Um, Aren't they supposed to stick her and, in a bag of rice or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, let the absorb all the water out of her. Yeah. Like yeah. And then, um, so uh, Allison said, or Allison, um, Dr. Girardi, Agnes Girardi says, uh, you know, you should assimilate me. We can't assimilate. Like, you know, we can't do it with you, Picard, because you're too close. He's like, I'm too close. She'd, she'd take me over in a minute. And because I guess when they, assim- when they assimilate you, he we learn from Picard, obviously, because he's been one, that they, uh, it takes a while for them. They kind of poke around a bit before they assimilate you and then they figure out where you are. And so Agnes is, well, like, like do me, do me. I mean, you know, I, I can, you know, you can talk to my unconscious mind and, and uh, while I'm, you know, while I'm, working trying to find the queen and get her to wake up and yeah but it's very dangerous because the queen's going to be in your head taking you over kind of thing and she says i think i'll be a fine and so meanwhile the plan for rafi and seven shot and uh, rios is to is to go to markridge industrial tower which apparently is the tallest building in los angeles and that way they can scan around for um this watcher see if there's some sort of alien activity because they figured he might be an alien that that wants to be found or not wants to be found i'd have paid a million dollars if they had said we have to get to the top of nakatomi plaza just like (laughs) as much as they wanted to be like we gotta get to the top of nakatomi that's where the action is yeah for sure um anyway so and and you know and uh, rafi's still very annoyed she says i don't want to talk about you know how i just lost you know elnor to this whole thing and whatever and uh anyway so back to to um Dorati and and picard and she's like you know you can pull me out when when things get weird you'll be talking to my my subconscious and she mentions about her her, her grief over losing her cat while she was a student but he doesn't use that as a trigger to get her back out which i thought was going to i thought they were projecting that right uh, so anyway, so the three of them, uh, um, Rios and Seven and, and Rafi, are standing there in front of them, and they beam out to to um, L.A. And of course, you know the soundtrack of Sal- California Dreaming starts to play, right? Mm. And uh, you know, so they all appear in different places, and they sort of have to find each other. And when Seven beams in, there's a little girl that sees her, and she's like, "Are you a superhero?" <laughs> and uh, and of course, she says, "Can you keep my se- can you keep my secret?" And then winks at her. Rio ends up landing not in uh, not on the ground, but about three floors, three stories up, and he falls and and uh, bangs his head, and a little bit of blood coming out, and uh, so he gets picked up and dragged into a, a what we think is a hospital at first. Remember the part about no hospital, so he gets dragged into this this space with a hospital. Turns out we find out a little bit later it's actually a clinic, um, and a kid picks up his com badge, which oh oh somebody's found. You know they can't leave any tech behind and. Of course, why would he take his combat with him? What was rule number one, Chris? What was rule number one? Yeah, we don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> um, anyway, so a mugger comes up against uh, um, Rafi, and, uh, you know, he's about to seize his money, and she says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you want my money? And then she knocks him out and grabs his gun and, and knocks him out and, and, and starts rifling through his wallet. And, of course, Seven catches up to her and says, you know, oh, yeah, all, you're not even here five minutes, and you're already beating people up and taking their money. Um, she says, well, I, you know, I'm going to get, I get to get on with this thing. I'm not waiting for, I'm not putting my hopes, I'm not pinning my hopes on Picard solving this thing. Right. So anyway, so the queen, the meanwhile, back on, on the ship, the queen is making her way, uh, into, you know, into Agnes's head and, you know, as initially as an observer, sort of poking through different rooms and one of the rooms she goes into is the angry room. And of course, you know, Agnes starts to get really angry and, 
and she goes into the sad room and Agnes goes, gets really sad and that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, she's like, she's almost like ready to give up and, and, um, Picard's like getting worried about her and he's like, you know, trying to snap her out of it. And, uh, Agnes's hand grabs Picard and he's like, whose hand is this? And, and both of them, Agnes and the queen at the same time say, mine, 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 just like the, the, I remind me of the seagulls. The seagulls, yeah. Yeah. In, um, Finding Nemo. And uh, so back in the cl- back in the clinic, we find out that uh, Teresa is the doctor in the clinic, and she's talking to Rios, and she tells him that he has a concussion. He's like, "I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. I, I, can, I can walk out." And she says, "Can you?" And of course, he can't because he's he's had this concussion. And uh, and then um, she she says, "You know, tell me tell me a story about." And of course, she's got a broken hand, and she needs his hand is dislocated, and you know she's concerned about that. She says, "Tell me a story about when you were a kid and your fondest memory," and he's talks about how he was, you know, once a kid on a, a he said, starts to say academy, but then he realizes, as he should say, a school. And, you know, he jumped into a, a simulator, which he wasn't supposed to do. His mom was a teacher there, and uh, he flew the simulator and whatever. And he did such a fantastic job of, of flying this thing that all the generals and admirals were, like, you know, coming out admired, admiring his prowess. And, obviously, you know, he's a wonderful pilot and all that kind of stuff. He just recapped mom, the plot to the last uh, Starfighter. Oh yeah, and his mom is his mom is like you know trying to be mad at him and whatever, and then crack, she snaps his hand back into position. So obviously she's telling him this to distract him from uh, from knowing that she's going to reset his hand and and uh, yeah, and then um, at one point, so we're back on the ship again, and and uh, uh, the queen wakes up and says, "Hello, Lacutus. You know, imagine meeting you here." Um, Her reboot is finally done. Yeah, and. Uh, mm, I wrote down, you need to put something on the table. Oh, the queen, I guess the queen. Yeah, is she's making to demands of him, him, right? Yeah, she wants to, she wants to negotiate with him. And she, she says, I want your ship and, and so on and so forth. And then, um, you know, back on, back in the clinic, uh, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Rios is trying to negotiate with this kid to get his badge back and, uh, offers to, you know, trick him or tra- trade him some really nice peanut butter cookies and offers him the whole tray. And, um, Basically, because uh, the kid's like, what are you going to give me for your, your badge? And and uh, turns out, of course, this is, who knew this was going to happen? But this is Teresa's kid. And uh, she says, uh, Teresa's kid. You mean, you mean Teresa, she, the attractive doctor who clearly... The attack, attractive <laughs> Spanish doctor. And of course, Rios doesn't <laughs> tell her that he speaks, you know, his name is Cristobal. And he's, they're speaking in Spanish. And of course, he is obviously listening to it. Because he starts talking to them in Spanish near the end there. And... Um, so yeah, and all of a sudden, like the 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 ICE, the the um, immigration cops show up, and uh, they're called ICE, right, Jaime? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they they show up now and, doing and his impression of Jaime, Jonathan. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> they do it. They do a raid on on the thing, and they're trying to get all the patients out. So he starts wheeling wheeling patients out, and then, of course, being the typical Star Trek, you know, bonehead, you know, male chauvinist, has to be the hero. And decides he has to help Teresa, so he grabs a, a doctor's uniform and throws it over top of his uh, his his uh, gown and and uh, goes and says, "Doctor, we've got this ble- you know bleeding patient at the back. You must come now." And and um, well, he also realizes uh, he doesn't have his com badge and he can't leave it behind because he'd be screwed, right? True. Yeah, he has to go back in his com badge. That's true. That's probably why. Yeah. Anyway, so back on the ship, Picard says, "I'm not going to negotiate with you, Queen," and um, and. Uh, she says, you know, I have the one thing that you don't have, and, and you know, I know the location of the Watcher, and, and when the timeline gets changed, and Agnes looks at her and says, are you sure about that? 
And then the queen goes, hang on. And she starts looking through her brain and realizes that Agnes has stolen that information from the queen. And yeah, so that's, uh, so that's kind of a... It delivers that amazingly delicious line of like, you've done the impossible, you've impressed me. That's yeah, you've such a wonderful yeah. line, line delivery from, mm-hmm. uh, from the, the Borg queen. Yeah, yeah. So of course now Rios um, decides, you know, pretending to be a doctor, he goes and takes on the ice guys. And of course, you know, they're, they're, they've seen this a thousand times. And so it ends with him being busted. And, and uh, that's where the episode ends where... You know, he's been basically put in handcuffs and he and Teresa are dragged off to lose cow, you know, or, or apparently he's broken rule number two. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not right. doing well on the rules. They did just talk about them. Yeah, they did have that. They'd had a stern talking to him about that. Yeah. So anyway, so really interesting episode. I mean, kind of like a lot, lot happening again, but the pacing was a lot faster. I mean, there were some some sort of slow bits when they're trying to sort of figure out how to get into the queen's head. And Picard is adamant that about her not not going there because he's he's afraid of of how powerful the queen is um having dealt with borg queens or doing air quotes in the past you know um but yeah it's interesting interesting episode i mean typical thing with the the whole clinic thing and so on and so forth and of course you know there's a there's a couple of um i've skipped over some stuff because obviously you know it's like we don't want to spoil the whole show for people but because there are some rafi um seven adventures as well so yeah what do you guys think I mean, you want to take anyway. the uh, good cop or the bad cop? Because I've got some bad cop tonight. <laughs> I I don't know that I was um, as intrigued by this episode as the the first two, which I think the first two were were pretty yep. solid intro to the season. Um, I think it's a, a connective tissue episode because like like clearly had to get us out of the uh, you know the bad place and into okay, how can we resolve this in in Los Angeles? So I'm 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 not going to be too heavy on it for that. Um, I don't know. Uh, do, do you have counterpoints to that? Because I don't think I'm 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 positive, but not like a you know. I think the resolution rapidly. of the at gunpoint part at the very beginning happened a little quick. Like like you know I like I said I was surprised that they you know they had this really interesting character in the magistrate and they just like blew him away like within the first five minutes of the show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I didn't think he was that interesting a character and. I thought it was kind of weak sauce to have him be the one who ends up killing Elnor, killing quote unquote. Oh, yeah. hmm. I mean, they it's funny because they, you know, they sort of have Rafi clings on to the idea that like, well, if we can change what's happened in the timeline, yeah, then maybe yeah. we can actually restore Elnor. And then that also ties into a moment later on, which is not quite as loudly it's more sort of uh, uh mime right it's it's uh, seven looking in the in the mirror and realizing that she still doesn't have her facial implants she doesn't have her borg technology yeah. and then yeah. saying she has that part where she sort of charms the security guard and says you know more, most people don't generally don't like me and it's weird to have people like me now um so obviously yeah. you know yeah. there's the, the pluses and the minuses of the whole sort of altered timeline she obviously finds the you know, some of these things alluring, whereas Rafi is, is horrified having lost, um, you know, her protege and, and, and Elnor. I, I, I don't know. I mean, last week I felt like the whole like dystopian, uh, future kind of thing. It was good and it was interesting, but the episode moved really briskly to like, they, they just sort of like, they all showed up in weird places. They all figured it out really fast. They resolved it and they got off the planet in like one fell swoop. It felt like a little unsatisfying in that way. Like they really kind of breezed through it. 
like they didn't allow for them to be confused. They didn't allow them time. It was just like, oh yeah, no, we got this. And they just they didn't have the they didn't have the where can we find the nuclear vessels? Yeah, it like, just it just wrapped kind up of, very very quickly. Or Scotty talking to the computer kind of thing. Like they could have really worked that right. Yeah, and I found like this week had the opposite problem of as Jaime said, this is connective tissue. It's about building the next block in the in 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 the stack. But I found this one kind of meandered, and I was not very into this one i was just like my like you really are like speaking of episodes that we'll look back on and be like wow that could have been done like half the length or or told in a much more effective yeah. manner yep. it just this one didn't satisfy me very much and and again as far as the you know the them at gunpoint thing last one i mean i'm you know, we talked about it when it came to Discovery. I thought Discovery didn't do as great a job on and in past seasons and some of this stuff on on the cliffhangers. I like that they're trying to do cliffhangers. That one was better. The end of it, where like uh, Rios and and uh, Teresa end up going off to to um, you know the, to jail. I'm like, it's that, like it just it didn't do anything for me. I'm like, so what? Like, it's just I don't know. I, I didn't. And she's like the whale doctor now, right? She's, well, that's it, right? To, like, you yeah, know, honestly, yeah. I was waiting for Sarah Silverman to show up at some point from uh, <laughs> the Voyager episode. Like, right. it just, I don't know. It, it, I, this is the part of the, this is the part of the story that I was dreading the most is the we're in 2024 part because yeah, yeah. we've seen it done so many freaking times. And I got to be honest, I think, I think Star Trek writ large clings a little too hard to the chronology that they've set out like it doesn't feel like our world anymore it feels so distantly removed from like the 1960s vision even the 1980s vision even the 1990s vision of what the 21st century would look like and they try and capture that a little bit we get a little bit of the sort of world that maybe we saw in the ds9 episodes and stuff where it's a little things are getting worse and they and they hint on that they show the wildfires in california and they hint at like oh this is where things start to go south uh, I just I feel like anything that's set in the now in a Star Trek series still feels cheap and it feels weak and it feels done. And I just I, I'm just not into it. I just I got to be honest, I, I couldn't give a shoot about that. It's just it's just <laughs> it's just it does nothing for me. It just does nothing for me. Um as far as I'm concerned, if they can get the heck out of the 21st century as soon as possible, I would be very happy. I, I found this yeah. dull as dishwater. Yeah, true. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I get that, you know, as Jaime pointed out, this, this is meant to be a setup episode. It's really about establishing the stakes, the players, the location. But I didn't know. I, that part really... It, it just I get why you do that in 1966. You want to do that because you don't have a huge budget. This is 2022. You do like, uh, I don't know. Maybe there'll be some great payoff. Maybe this whole thing with the, the MacGuffin character, the watcher that they're trying to find will be very satisfying. Maybe there will be some cool twist that'll make this all worthwhile. But I just, I get really taken out of it when they're like, oh, remember the 21st century again? Like, oh, it just, it just bothers me as a, as a storytelling trope. Yeah, I mean, they've done it a thousand times. And, and I mean, every I think every incarnation of Star Trek has done that. I mean, Trouble with Tribbles being the exception. I think that was the only one where 
where um or not the tribbles the, you know the the the, um, the ds9 one tribble yeah that, yeah, was, that was great, great. That was great. Yeah, yeah. Because they're going back one. to their own chronology. They're not going back to our chronology. But even mm-hmm. even in the uh, in the original series, like the one where they the Adam twelve or whatever, Adam twenty or whatever his name was, where they where the guy has the, the it's the Terry Gar one where you know they they have to go and stop the launch or something like yep, that. Yep, yep. Of a that was a, that was a like a, come on you know like that that one weak. clearly was because of a budget. But yeah, that was a week one of the weaker episodes of for sure. Yeah. Uh, and they did that with um, Enterprise, where um, what was her name? To Paul and um, Archer and Tri- uh, Tri- uh, Trip, I guess they go back and they 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 end up in the 1930s or 1940s mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. You know that one? That was a bit what weird one too, right? Yeah. So soup kitchens and all that stuff. I mean, like, or at least do it in a weird and interesting way. Like, you know, one of the first TNG episodes that sort of caught my attention was the one where they go into the weird part where like the astronauts they the the aliens have clearly accidentally killed the astronauts and they are you know they're trying to make them that special space so they use the book that's with them which is like this bad gangster novel uh and they mm-hmm. they basically make that their reality because they think that that's their reality based on the this narrative at least that was like far out there it, it was like you know they they were doing like a period piece but they were also doing it in a weirdly heightened kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of way it's it's the earnestness of like you know they show up in 21st century los angeles and it's getting rough out there there's fires and that guy's got a gun and it's just like oh my like and there's ozone and, and suddenly no one's wearing masks like oh, okay all right mm-hmm. back up like I don't know. I really nobody think... Ha- they, nobody has a cell phone. The kid doesn't have a cell phone. He's playing, not playing games on his mom's phone or whatever, right? And the kid in the park? Like, when somebody just appears in front of you, the first thing you do is turn on your video camera and ask them to start, start asking questions, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it just seems like a bit of a worn trope. And again, I have faith... I enjoyed season one. I think that they could turn this into something good. But for this moment, three episodes in, I am like, wow, we're already three episodes in. And where are we really? Did they film the first season in, in L.A. or did they do it in Toronto? Cause I know no, that, they, did yeah. the, they, they did the, I think the whole three seasons were done out in California because the, of, of Patrick Stewart wanting to be out there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Again, hopefully we'll start to see this thing turn. But I mean, by next week, we're going to be at mid-season. So we better start seeing some stuff moving forward or we're going to get one of uh, the patented Jaime Lopez Hold My Beer <laughs> finale Wait, is episodes. Is it only, only eight, uh, eight episodes long this season? Yeah, I think so. Oh, Isn't okay. it? It's not 13, is it? I thought it was only eight, an eight-issue or eight-issue. I'm eight, not uh, sure. I'm going to look it up right now. Let's check the IMDb. I thought for some reason that I had seen that it was a shorter run deal. What do you think? Uh, it says 10 episodes through May 5th on Wikipedia. Okay, well, 10 something. That's when more. Look at the source. Google seems to say 10, but it's always hard to tell with some of these because sometimes it'd be like seven. I'm like, that's how many we're on. And I know there's well, one next week. Okay, <laughs> so, know? I mean, again, it is cited um, on wikipedia it's a cited article so i will actually give this one some credence the first season was 10 episodes the second season is listed as 10 episodes and the third season is listed as 10 episodes so 30 total and they're they're apparently done filming all of them so um yeah so again we're we're a third of the way through more or less so it happens fast you know and 
I think the other thing that I was thinking about this isn't to, at least in this episode, we got a little more Borg and Picard yeah. interaction. I was say, the Borg, the Borg Picard part was probably the better part of the episode for sure. Because there's such a deep history there. Like that speaks to both the nostalgia and also just the most interesting dynamic is this, you know, we've established through, you know, through the series, through first contact, through the movies that he's got this deep, scar left by what he was and what happened and all that stuff and you know to be face to face with yet another incarnation of the queen and to to have that explore that dynamics interesting but i felt like you know the two selling points of this second season were the return of q and the return of the borg so far we've seen q for like two very brief scenes and we this is the first time we really got something out of the board though she was sort of spewing nonsense last episode so again i hope that the best of all this is to come that we're going to get more you know deeper into what's going on with q deeper into you know why the borg are involved in all this why they were there in the first place how this all comes together as i say i have faith i have faith that this is going to work out into a a very interesting series i did enjoy the last season and i'm sure this is going to be good but as for where we're at right now it's kind of starting a little slow for my taste yeah yeah i was slightly positive on this on this episode so but not negative not neutral i think i kind of see it as the the connective tissue so um i'm hoping they don't spend a lot of time in 2024 but we'll we'll see what ends up happening there I did want to mention one extra little bonus note. I did notice online that this episode was directed by none other than Leah Thompson. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Cool. You know, from Howard the Duck. Yeah, and Back to the Future. No, 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 no. From Howard the Duck. Oh, from Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and she's she's actually she's got a pretty good career uh, over the last number of years as a um, a television director. She's she's done a bunch of episodes of The Goldberg. She's done a bunch of different shows. So uh, yeah, nice to see her her uh, on a show like this. Yeah, cool. All right, well let's move on to the watch list then, folks. Shall we? Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you got for it? What what Star Trek thing have you got for us this week? I mean, it's the counterpart to last week where we had the uh, TOS intro done TNG style. Um, not perfectly accurate because, you know, it's the movie Enterprise, but, you know, it's the same era. We've got now the TNG intro done in TOS style, and it fits pretty, pretty, pretty well. I think the, the symmetry that they intentionally went for in the original versions of these intros um, is probably why it works so well. Like, I'd have a hard time imagining how, like, swapping Voyager and Deep Space Nine's intro songs at work or or enterprise if we want to throw that into the ring kudos to these people at uh, jtvfx for putting this together cool cool next one i've got here is a little bit more practical um i guess this is only applicable in the uh, usa because we just got the marvel stuff from the netflix series stuff into disney plus and so there's upgrades on disney plus or like all right you you have to set a content rating for what you're willing to do this little article from the verge tells you how to do that so no kids in this household. So we chose the uh, full catalog version and you can optionally set a, a pin. We didn't do that again. No kids in this household. So we're not worried about anybody seeing, um, you know, Jessica Jones or something like that. But but uh, you can do that. So make sure you do you cool. make sure you have, uh, you know, complete access to all the the I don't even know um, TVMA. I think they said here and the ratings. Otherwise, you get slotted into TV 14. I don't know what the Canadian equivalents are of those. Yeah, they're all the same. 
Or are they? Okay, I wasn't yep. sure. Yep. We, uh, yeah, we, we were, um, uh, of course, we've already had all this stuff set up in ours, right? The, um, the, the, the rating system, because we already had the, the star stuff added a number of months back, which is the Hulu content. So didn't doesn't really apply to us as far as changing those settings. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, w- I did notice this week that there was a few articles. So when they made that shift over from the content from Netflix, one of the questions was, will they edit it? Will they change it in some way? Uh, which is fair, you know, like obviously people could be concerned that it was going to get um, changed around and, and, you know, softened up for a Disney audience. But uh, according to everything I've seen so far, they they are playing it straight. They're doing exactly what uh, what we saw on Netflix. So you don't have to worry about getting the PG-13 version where uh, Jessica Jones says, gosh, darn it a lot. Oh, yeah. there are different versions of these shows? Different what? There are different versions of the show. No, like, that was that was the, the one of the discussion points when they announced they were going to migrate from Netflix to to Marvel to Disney Plus. People yeah. were concerned they were going to start editing them down, but they haven't done that. They they have come as is. So, oh, all right. So for my stuff this week, I've got a uh, I got three things that I I had a, a very busy week. I actually got to sit sit down and watch a few things. So uh, I start with uh, Turning Red. I don't know if either of you had a chance to watch Turning Red yet, the new Pixar movie on Disney Plus. Not yet. Nope. 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 So uh, we sat down and watched it. I watched it with my wife and my eldest son, and um, and I wasn't exactly sure. I'd seen the trailer, of course, and I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. I had seen, you know, that that rather um, uh, crazy article that came out last week about, you know, how one of the reviewers for a, a blog had sort of said, you know, I don't know who this movie's for, but it's not for me. Um, I thought... Uh, and I'm not going to get into a, a spoiler thing. Obviously, the movie centers around May, this little girl who lives in Toronto, and uh, it's sort of set on her life in school and just sort of the stuff that happens to her. And of course, the stuff that they show you in the trailer is that when she uh, gets um, has emotional reactions, she transforms into a red panda. That's the nuts and bolts giant of it. Giant red panda. Well, giant. I mean, she's 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 bigger than her classmates. She's giant. Giant is a, a relative term. Um, but it's a very likable movie. It is very charming. It the characters are great. I mean, I obviously, you know, being having grown up here, it it looks more like my world than anything I've ever seen in like a a piece of animation like that. Like that's my world. There are Asian kids, there are South Asian kids, there are black kids, there are white kids, there are, you know, you know, people who speak with thick accents and people who don't have accents and and we all live together. That's what being here in this area reminds me of. And so for me, I loved that we were seeing that view of the world. Beyond that, it was just a very charming, sweet coming of age story. There's been much made of the fact that it deals with some themes that some people don't necessarily want to have their little kids, um, you know, get into. It deals with, you know, puberty and it deals with, you know, some sort of more complicated conversations that, you know, some kids, parents don't want to have with their kids. But, you know, but you guys, but I learned about sex watching movies and they sure as hell weren't well-made <laughs> Pixar movies. They were definitely True. not, you know, sensitively and thoughtfully done like this. So if movies like this want to want to start those conversations between parents and their kids, good. Like they're done very sweetly and, and thoughtfully and carefully. Um, yeah, I, I, I would highly recommend watching this movie. It's 
as a movie, it's really just an enjoyable sit and watch and, and, you know, it'll, you know, it's, it's at its heart, it's about the relationship between mothers and daughters and between women. And, uh, and it's also just funny and charming and likable and silly and all the things you want from a Pixar movie. I, I, I think it's great. And I think that, uh, I would have no problem showing it to anyone of any age. And I, and I'm, and I'm hoping that it, it, uh, is, the first of, you know, more movies that are, you know, I, I was thinking about it, you know, we've gotten movies that sort of focus on segments of population and that's great. And it's great to see that they're doing, you know, more with Latino culture, more with black culture, more with Asian culture. This was the first one that felt, like I say, like what I'm used to, which is all of our cultures at the same time. And that I loved and that I want to see more of. And that really spoke to me. And for that, I really liked Turning Red. Uh, I, we also watched uh, Xavier and I watched The Atom Project, which is the new Netflix movie starring. Um, oh God, what's his name? Everybody's favorite. Ryan Everybody's Reynolds. favorite Ryan Reynolds. There you go. I don't know how I blanked on Ryan Reynolds, but um, Canada's own Ryan Reynolds. Canada's own Ryan Reynolds. It uh, it is a time travel flick. Uh, you know, guy comes from the future to the past. We were just talking about time flick, time travel stories, uh, back to our time. But uh, the sort of twist on it is that he ends up basically drafting himself as a little boy to help him on this mission. And so the two of them have to go and sort of figure this stuff out. Uh, it's got a really nice cast, lots of good uh, uh, performances in it. It's, again, it's not stupendous. It's not like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like it, but it's really well done. Reynolds is charming. The kid that they've got in it is really good. He's, you know, some kid actors can be really cloying and annoying. He's actually really funny and the chemistry between him and the other actors is really good. You really do buy, like Jennifer Garner plays his mom. You really do buy that relationship. Um, you know, Mark Ruffalo plays his dad. You do buy that relationship as well. It's, it's well worth a watch. It's an enjoyable, and it's a pretty tight movie. I think it's an hour and 40 minutes. It's, it's a nice, tight, enjoyable little sci-fi romp. Um, yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend that one. And last and certainly not least, I sat down and watched The Boys Diabolical, which is the animated series that is sort of the bridge between season uh, two and three of The Boys. I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into with this one. So they are a series of like 15 minute animated shorts. There's eight of them. They're all done by different creators and they're all done in different styles. So imagine, if you will, if you have this frame of reference, the Animatrix that was put out that sort of told all these different stories set in the Matrix world, but through these different yeah. lenses of style of animation and, and different ways of coming out of different character perspectives and stuff like that. Okay, now imagine that, but with the boys lens put on it, which is to say violent, filthy, sexual, over the top stuff. So the first episode is uh, written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, but it's done in the animation style of like Animaniacs. So it's sort of neo Warner Brothers cartoonish circa 1990s. And it's about how this little baby who is uh, has laser vision, but doesn't use it very well, basically escapes from the lab and 
Um, you know the, the the old Warner Brothers cartoons where like you know the cat is going through the construction site and like all this chaos is going around around it, but the cat's fine. That's what Laser Baby's adventure is like. But it's like bloody, gory, disgusting. Like every you know like lasering holes right through people and just it's it's so over the top. It's fantastic. Um, the the some of the other highlights. So uh, the second episode is um, written by Justin Roiland, of course. Justin Roiland, Rick and Morty, Solar Opposites, and done in that animation style. So it really resonates there. Um, one of them is written by Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis, of course, is a very famous comic book writer. Um, uh, uh, Ilyana. Uh, Eliana Glazer and Elliot Glazer, her brother, wrote one of the episodes. Aquafina wrote one of the episodes and stars in it. Aisha Tyler, Andy Samberg. So it's like it's a really, really kick-ass group of writers and creators working on this stuff and just telling the most crazy over-the-top cartoon stories. Some of them, uh, one of them is like like super, the Aquafina one is like super anime-inspired, done like very, very like that. Uh, one of them is done very much like uh, like French illustration. One of them is done like almost like an episode of uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Metalocalypse, the uh, the weird sort of over the top violent cartoon that came out a number of years back. Um, but it is I watched it in two chunks because there you know four so there's eight episodes they're about 15 minutes a piece so about about two hours all in the whole thing and uh, it's it's awesome it's so good it's so much fun it's so crazy the 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 violent level violence level on it and the filth level on it is like 10 miles over the top like even more so even more hyper violent hyper uh crazy than than what you see in the in the show but it is so much fun and i i highly 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 recommend if you are into the boys make the time for this show it's a pretty again pretty digestible little chunk and it'll get you through until you want to come around to june when the uh, the new episodes drop cool oh yeah you, i do have one yeah. more don't i Yes, you do. Yeah, I do. So, below the page. Uh, that was so. Those were my. I saw them this week. The I'm going to get into's are uh, so. Human resources is just dropped uh, on Netflix. That will be my weekend. I am going to power through and because uh, Netflix, of course, insists upon dropping everything at once. So I'm going to sit down and just uh, bury myself in the hilarious and again pretty. I'm sure over the top world of uh, human resources. Of course, the spinoff from uh, Big Mouth, one of my favorite animated series. All right. Well, I have one pick today. Just uh, just saw this on uh, online. Um, Will Wheaton, who has not been on Twitter for about four years or so, for a long time, he got off Twitter because he just thought it was a, a vile place of scum and villainy. Um, he's appeared on on, on the uh, Twitter today with several tweets uh, talking about his new book. He's updated his book. Still, it, it was originally called Just a Geek. Geek back when he was close to 30 now he's close to 50 and he's he's updated the book um parts of the original book are in it it's called still just a geek an annotated memoir you can pre-order it now and he's got a link here to you can get to it from his willwheaton.com page or from this link here that i've got in the show notes and it's available to pre-order it's around 18 dollars or so um, available on all the digital formats as well as there's an audiobook coming later on. And if you want to buy a paperback version, I think it's like $35 Canadian or $25 US. Um, yeah, so if you're, you know, into our boy, Will Wheaton, uh, check out the book. I, hopefully he does an audiobook where he reads it because he, he reads the book uh, or he reads the um, 
uh, what's that? Oh, the Ready Player One and Ready Player Ready, Two. Ready yeah. Player One and Ready Player Two. He reads those two, and it's great, especially especially the part where he gets to the part where the main character goes to Will Wheaton World. Yeah, but, you know, anyway, <laughs> kind of meta. But anyway, yeah. So check it out. Um, we'll see what he has to say about about himself. Um, it's funny. I, I've watched a few episodes of the um, of uh, the Ready Room a few times, and he's so like in love with Star Star Trek. It's 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 funny to watch. You know. Um, He's just got this sort of, I mean, and it's funny because like, you know, even though he's like close to 50, he still sort of seems like, you know, he's not quite a teenager, but he does seem kind of young, right? So I love him in the Big Bang Theory, of course. You wow, know, playing the, the hyper version of himself there, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, just uh, check it out if you're into that. You want to find out about, you know, what goes on with uh, the making of, because he's got some interesting, th- interesting things to say about what happened when he was on on the trek of the stars and um you know when he was gazing at stars um yeah because I, I think it, it, you'd be surprised to hear some of the some of the stuff if you just if you just know him from watching the episodes that's one thing but if you if you hear the sort of backstories behind you know how he, he was there and then he went away for a while and he came back and you know yeah and what q does to him and things like that so hmm. check it out but he does say in 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 the book that he does go through some some pretty dark passages there where Talks about his earlier life earlier than his Star Trek time times as well. So hmm. there's some, I guess there's some deep deep dark secrets in there that uh, he's going to cover off. But yeah, it's available for pre-order now. And there you go. Link in the show notes. And I guess that's it for another week. So until next time, Jonathan, where can people find you? Always on Twitter and Instagram. It's at JPK News. You always on? You never always or put the phone down? Nope. No. Nope. It's okay. always there, man. All right. And uh, how many people go in touch with you? Where they find you? I'm on Twitter is at Dev the Hair. All right. My name is Tim Mitra. As always, as always, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 <laughs> that concludes another episode of SpotCast, streamed to you via subspace signal. I'm friend of the show, Greg Heo, joining you from Sector 001. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with your Star Trek nerd hosts on the website or follow them on Twitter. They're at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send them a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending it to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount of gold press latinum at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help them out on the website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Wishing you peace and long life. I love that little showdown we have. Who's going to say bye first? <laughs> well, I would say it first, and you guys say it, and then I say it again. So <laughs> by, by the time, by the time, some of you end up saying it at the same time. I don't know. Hard to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a bit of show, a few showdown movements moments this, this week, right? Yeah. Did you watch the uh, the thing about Amazon Go on Saturday Night Live? I mean, yes, I did. My significant other and I were, you know completely yeah. enraptured by this because i've used the amazon go and it feels exactly like that 
you walk in and you just grab stuff and go and and then like the keenan keenan thompson goes what now <laughs> you yeah. want me to just like take this and walk on it and like hell no <laughs> i know a, a setup when i see one it's a trap. That's what it feels like i've never liked the equivalent thing at the uh at the apple stores where you could prepay for like you know bluetooth headphones or yeah, yeah. cables and stuff just walk in and walk out it's like no yeah. i don't want to do that <laughs> i do that i do it all the time but then when you get like three or four things it becomes a hassle and i just i call one of them over and say give me a bag <laughs> help me check out Lame ass. Because there's been a couple of times I gone into the store for for one reason or another, the the app didn't work, right? So they're like, yeah, yeah, it's been happening all day. <laughs> sure, I don't know, but yeah, it does feel weird when you when you get to buy stuff yourself, right? Anyway, it is now almost two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Picard, and yeah, is, again that that the discovery episode could have been twenty minutes shorter. Well, it should be. I, like, we can go back to doing nine thirty Eastern recordings or six thirty for Jaime starting next week because we just have Picard. For, we don't know exactly what time Picard is going to be on, but we do because Picard's going to be on Crave. Oh yeah, then we can do it like one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking <laughs> we aim for really, going back but, yeah. to nine thirty so that you and I don't have to stay up sure. until two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. every time we mm-hmm. want to record this thing. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Well, I think. Um, yeah, was it nine thirty? We did it normally. Yeah, okay. Right. Nine thirty is what we're doing yeah, it when we, we could cause, actually cause, uh, get I in think, early. I think for more than just podcasts, we do nine o'clock, right? Don't we, Jaime? No, we, we do nine thirty. Do we? Oh, okay. All right. Okay, nine thirty is fine. Yeah. So yeah, no, Jaime. Has, Jaime has to have time to digest his food. So well, that way Jaime can watch it at lunchtime too, right? True. Yeah. So let's see. Yeah, let's aim for nine thirty uh, for this stretch. I'm sure we're going to get into the double up when they start doing Strange New Worlds, overlapping with the last few of Picard again in uh, in a month or two. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, well, we'll we'll work. We'll deal with that when it comes. Moon Knight actually starts up two weeks from two weeks from yesterday. So, mm. uh, but the nice thing is that comes out on Wednesday, so we'll have I think I'll have a chance to watch it and and discuss it when it when it comes back around. I don't know if we'll do a deep dive, but cool. it, I'm sure we'll chat about it. Right, right. All righty. Okay. Then, then I guess we'll call it a day. All right, Talk gents. Later. Always a pleasure. See you later. Okay, bye. 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 Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.